Hello and welcome to episode 229 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. I'm Angel. I'm Kevin, and this is our fourth attempt at an intro. You know, sometimes you just gotta... Well, I'd say third time's the charm, but we're one, we're one past it. So what is that? What is fourth time? I have no I idea. Know. A fourth, I don't know. Fourth time's the last resort, I guess. But, <laughs> but we're in, I mean, we're in for a good... more than four before... That's true, and we and, and we're in for a good episode, regardless of how many intro attempts we took. Uh, we were it's a pretty point blank name for this episode. We're just calling it something old, something new, because we're going to be talking about some old stuff, some new stuff, and well, I guess some new iterations of old stuff. But uh, we're going to be singling out a couple Super Nintendo games that are now available on Switch Online. We're going to be sharing some impressions. Uh, Angel, you've been playing Lonely Mountains Downhill on Switch. I've been playing Pac Man uh, Championship Edition Two Plus in time for its 40th anniversary this weekend. Uh, plus, of course, we're going to be talking about the latest Nintendo news from Paper Mario and the Origami King, and it's really short lead time between announcement and release, to what that approach may mean for other Nintendo announcements, to what third parties are up to, like Mortal Kombat and Tony Hawk not being on Switch, and uh, Evo. Evo's going digital now, online only. So uh, there's timestamps on the blog post for this episode, but stay tuned to the very end of the show because, uh, or I guess you could skip ahead, because we, courtesy of Kevin, are doing a very special Amiibo giveaway to celebrate our new sub-series that you may have noticed right under this episode on your podcast feed, The Quarantine Chronicles. So, there's also that. Kevin, how many Amiibo do you have? How many are you giving away? Uh, it's at least 30, I think. And are they all, like, in at box? They're, they're all in box. Wow, and there's some rare ones, right? Uh, I guess the first, uh, the first run of the of the villager, because the the nose is with actually the weird eye. No, the, with the weird eye. No, because the, or the, the weird the, nose. The, no, it's not weird. It's just it's an actual nose, like they painted it oh, on right. for the second series. That's yeah, it got redesigned. Yeah, right. Well, so if I mean, you want I'm sure you also have some uncommon ones <laughs> like maybe We Fit Trainer or We Fit Trainer. There's a Marth in there. But yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's it's, Athena, it's uh, Jigglypuff. So if you want to like own a bunch of amiibo, here's your opportunity. Any amiibo if you want right to sell now, a bunch of amiibo, here's your opportunity. So you should stick around and enter. I need to get rid <laughs> and learn of how to enter. Things, all right. You're gonna need to bleep yourself, good yep. sir. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's um, wow. You really hate amiibo now, huh? Listen, it's it was a waste of time. If I, if I say so myself. Let's let's dive I, into the psyche. I'm, I'm, Before I'm we even my... get to our timestamps, what what about Amiibo has led you to be bedinged here on the show about it? Uh, like, what what is their use aside from? Uh, can you guys explain to me their use? For I, no, because, because I think I think <laughs> when Amiibo came out, we were like, oh my god, this has so much potential. They barely do anything. It's true. It's true. I, I always thought of them as just little statuettes that happen to do something sometimes. So yeah, I thought of them if, so, so if they first. So if they don't have use, that's more like they're just doing what they're really supposed to be doing, which is just being a little something you have on a desk or something. Oh yeah, but I mean that's not how they were advertised, but but that's I mean what they they're are. just yeah they're supposed to offer essentially bi- micro bites of DLC. They mm. definitely were best used in Smash Brothers. I feel like. If people, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, people can and still do have essentially Pokemon fights in Smash Brothers, which is really cool. Just train a few amiibo, send them out in certain orders, blah, blah, blah. But And, and they do that, have a use in Animal Crossing. If you have the amiibo card, you can scan any of them to have that villager come visit your campsite. 
in New Horizons. So it's a way to get your favorite villagers back. So much so that they're reprinting amiibo cards in Japan now. But let's talk about the Smash ones. Don't, yeah. don't get me wrong. Um, some of the some of the amiibo are really cool, like the Wind Waker, the Wind Waker stuff that came out. Oh yeah, and then stuff that came out. Those are cool, and they make cool really cool collectibles. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, for the Smash series, <laughs> what a great way to sell people on a giveaway! Hey guys, you want these things that we don't really know what they're for? Angel has some idea, but the other two of us are like, eh. Well, you can. <laughs> But yeah, it's. Uh, I always thought of those collectibles first, like Angel was saying. But in terms of their gameplay functionality, they're basically plastic paywalls. That's the phrase I kept using in their prime. Yeah, and I mean, a lot I got of the stuff totally they provided it, were things but... that could have just as easily been in the game. Exactly. I mean, the only other cool thing I could think of was just when um, it gave the Mii's character-specific costumes in Mario Kart Deluxe or the sprites in Mario Maker. Those are really cool. But... And I do think I do think to be fair to Amiibo, like. Um, they were at the time they were exactly what Nintendo kind of needed to like jog their sales a bit and get some fan excitement going because they were if you're a Nintendo fan they are really fun cool collectibles to have these characters that would never get merchandise otherwise suddenly have merchandise yeah. like, be Robo, especially if or... you have space which I don't that's pri- that's yes, primarily well, that, that's why I'm the thing. Rid of them. yeah it's like I have like. Somewhere, I didn't collect all the Smash Bros, but I have like somewhere between 45 and 50, I would guess. And they're all just sitting under my desk in their boxes because I don't know what to do with them. But I'm glad I have them because when else are we going to get merch for some of those characters? When else When else is Lil Mac going to have a little figurine or what? Are you glad that you like have them or are you glad that they exist? I – excuse me. I am glad I have them because I have to justify the frenzied – state of mind i was in for those two years and the only way i could justify it is to still be happy with the choice no uh, honestly i am glad i have them because i like having little pieces of nintendo history like i like having some weird one-off things from back in the day so if it's the one-off you know a yarn yoshi merch they're ever gonna make i'm glad i have it to say i have that one weird yarn yoshi that just made. sitting in the box under my yeah. desk yeah, yeah it's kind of like my game well i mean come on Kevin. it's kind of like my games yeah, <laughs> like i buy the games like i'm glad i have it and then i never fully finish them so Speaking of, should we talk about some games we've been playing? We've been starting with what we're playing, um, you know, these last few episodes. Since the since the before times have come to an end, we've been doing what we're playing up front. So should we uh, should we just keep that going? Talk about some of the old, maybe, since our title starts with that. Um, Nintendo, so they surprise announced a set of Super Nintendo and NES games for Switch Online subscribers, and it's already out. And I think for the first time in a while, there's actually some interesting I think it's sad that it's a surprise ones. announcement because they feel like they rarely ever do these anymore. Like, I forget Is driving? That... Are we driving? <laughs> Is someone, like, podcasting for, from a car? I forget that the service, like, <laughs> even exists until, like, Nintendo puts out these, like, random games. And most of the time, obviously, like, I don't care about them, but right. they do there's offer a variety. Ones. I mean, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, I mean, they do have some RPGs on there, some interesting-looking competitive games like this one where you're like going down a river that one looked kind of fun oh but, uh, on nes right yeah on nes yeah surprisingly on that on nes yeah. and but a lot of them just feel like super derivative of each other it's like like even mm-hmm. on this batch they released um panel de pawn which just looks like i think i'm pretty sure we have another panel style game on the nes already if not on we the do SNES. not we do not we do not panel de pawn that's the first entry in that series no not even like specifically panel de pawn just another like Match no, no, no. That's the again. first entry in that puzzle series ever made, so it's impossible to have it on. There's Yoshi's Cookie, which is similar but different, but it's this is the first actual Puzzle League-style game that Nintendo ever made, so we don't. 
just by mm. definition. <laughs> I know because I care deeply about Pound Upon, as you'll hear when I talk about it in a minute. But, well, I mean, we have yeah, Puyo but, Puyo on there, right? Or no? Yes, but that's a different puzzle game that has a similar alliteration. No, the gameplay-wise, it's very similar. Uh-uh. Yeah, I would disagree. If it is. No. You would not know. I would disagree. What do you mean? I love Pound of Pawns. My fa- Puzzle League's like my favorite uh, series, puzzle series. The gameplay is pretty similar, I would say. They're just like kind of inverse of each other, but you play it the same way. Well, then they're not the same. <laughs> but they're there similar, are differences. So similar. Eh. Well, I mean, all puzzle games on some level are similar. Any block game is pretty similar. But anyway, yeah, you were saying. I didn't mean to cut you off on Pound of Pawns. What were you saying beyond that? Oh, I don't know. The only game that I guess I had any kind of remote interest in was Wild Guns, just because I remember playing that in arcades, which is pretty cool. And and you I mean, cool. you've been playing it now on Switch, right? A little here and there. How's it holding I mean, up? Is it what you remember? Um, yeah, still as fun as I remember. It's still as, it's not as hard as I remembered because I remember playing it very young, but. Um, it's deep enough that I could definitely see myself revisiting it a few times. Though it does make me miss playing um, the reloaded version. I don't remember where I played that one, but I remember you could like normally by default you could play as um, a cowboy and a cowgirl, but in the reloaded version you could play as a little dash hound that has a little remote control drone that you could use to attack things while you run around as a dog, which is pretty cool. But this one doesn't have that. I mean, it's still the same, like, three or four, maybe five or six levels. It's an arcade-style game. You're shooting into the background. Everything kills you with one hit. It's kind of like Contra. But, no, oh, it's fun. You have a cool dodge mechanic. Bosses are interesting. Kind of, I think it's the first time I haven't been completely disappointed with the re- with the selection of games on a personal level. So, but yeah. so with, with Wild Guns, so you're shooting into screen? Is that what you said? Yeah. So it's like fake 3D? Uh, I mean, I don't know if I call it fake 3D. It's just drawn depth. They're not trying to make it look like it's in 3D. You but I mean, like it's using the Z axis. Like it's I mean, almost like char- a light gun game, it sounds like. I mean, your character is running in the foreground, left and right, on the on you know, on the X axis, and you're just shooting into, into the screen, I guess. You just have a cursor that you just shoot at. Mm. It's weird to describe. You just have to see it. I see, yeah. I see. Well, I'm going to defend Pound it's, Upon. It, it, it's, okay. a, it's a... I mean, <laughs> go ahead. I don't... No, what are you going to say? What are you going to say about Wild Guns? Oh, no. There isn't really much to say about that game. It's like a very simplistic like arcade shooter, so... Right, right. I mean... Well, I'm going to defend Pound Upon a bit because uh, it is different from Poyo because Poyo things are flying from the top and you make chains of three and they can be L-shaped and they can be different things. This one, you have blocks rising up from the bottom and you can only do horizontal or vertical combos. So they are different somewhat but i think i think i do need to say up front i have a bias here like i like if i mean if remembers... you if you if you really if you like those games as jason clearly does then you care then you would care to point out the difference otherwise yeah it's just another yeah. match to be puzzler and that's pretty much all i will see yeah no but it. it's, it's more than match again i'm biased i'm gonna say it up front like if you go look at i don't know if you remember anyone if you like match or... puzzles it's an awesome addition that i'm sure you'll be happy about if you don't then whatever's <laughs> I mean, that's true of any genre, if you distill it oh, yeah. to the simplest level. Yeah. 
But, yeah, I um, just happened to distill it in front of a fan of one of those, which... Yeah, and then, yeah. And then you unleash this inner beast of Panel to Palm Defense Force that I didn't know I had. But no, it's... um Yeah, like, I mean, it's been a game I really like. Because if you even look back, like... And to prove this is, like, legit, Andrew, I'm not just calling you out. Like, go look back at the flashback we did for Game Boy Color. One of my all-time favorite Game Boy Color games, Pokemon Puzzle Challenge, which is Panel to Palm reskinned. Um, mm-hmm. And basically, ever since I was introduced to that style of puzzle, which originally was pound upon and then came to the u.s as tetris attack and it's been probably my favorite puzzle game since but it, it, it has been weird how weird nintendo has been about actually giving us pound upon up to this point like we got with pokemon puzzle league we got with pokemon puzzle challenge on 60 uh challenge on game boy and league on 64 uh we got again with dr mario puzzle league as a double pack on game boy i think advance we then got on DS with Planet Puzzle League as this kind of off-forgotten touch generations that actually did come out, but no one really remembers. And there was a DSi successor, Puzzle League Express. And then they kind of just gave up on the brand. Maybe to your point that to too many people it feels too similar because it kind of just like disappeared. Like weirdly, it was inside Animal Crossing New Leaf as part of the Welcome Amiibo update. But it wasn't called Puzzle League. It was just there as a puzzle minigame. And the, the Puzzle League name itself basically like vanished and now nintendo's giving us the original still in japanese version of pound upon and it they only slyly even reference it's the same as puzzle league in the press material they just say it may seem familiar so i don't know what they're doing on the branding level but what i'm kind of hoping is that pound upon coming back now is sort of a dry of i mean they even have a, i don't know are they ashamed That's of it or something i mean they even reference it in smash brothers with the flower i know item. yeah the flower rod is lips uh wand from panel to Pond. yeah i don't know i'm giving well, a trophy hoping. in some of the games yeah she has a trophy it's very strange so i think originally they didn't bring it up uh bring it over as panel to Pond back in the day because the game's very flowery and chill and it's always like uh kind of female anime-ish like fairy tale-ish characters and i wonder if nintendo's like oh that's not like aggressive enough for 1995 like that was like you know pure like extreme 90s so they went with tetris attack because that sounds so one it has the tetris name and two it sounds way more aggressive um but yeah, I'm kind of thinking maybe they're doing a soft reset at this point of the brand because um, the number one problem it's had since um, the Pokemon Puzzle League and Challenge games is it had no real identity. It was very sterile, especially the DS one. Super sterile. And what I found kind of striking when I booted up Pound Upon on the Super Nintendo is that the game actually has personality to it. Like there is that art style. There is this cutesy little Nintendo sound effect that plays right away. There's really like soft, like, relaxing music and kind of nice hues of pink and blue and like it's very much it has a distinct look which nintendo completely disregarded here in the west and um obviously i can't understand the dialogue of anything that's happening in the game the game's actually still in full japanese they did not translate a thing but there is a story mode so there is actually like this is the first time since the pokemon ones that there's actually a reason to progress besides you like puzzles and that makes me think there's maybe hope here for something because and like even if you just look at it by itself it is a pretty all-encompassing package i'm hoping that like people resonate with it and tells play data shows that people are liking it and then maybe we get something because uh like for anyone who hasn't played puzzle league it is to your point angel one of these simpler puzzle games you have a series of blocks they rise up from the bomb they stack kind of haphazardly and it's up to you using a two-block cursor to switch the places of any two blocks horizontally, which can then form vertical or horizontal chains of three or more. So the three-block chains will simply remove them from the screen. The four or more block chains will send garbage blocks to your opponent's screen should you be playing a mode that has an opponent. And in the Super Nintendo Pound Upon, so the original here, 
that seems to mean just the multiplayer mode. In later puzzle leagues, it became a core tenet or component of the game, but in the initial, it was just that one mode. Um, but the single-player modes are still a lot of fun. Like the, it's actually pretty packed in terms of content. There's a full story mode. Um, it's the third option down for those who can't read Japanese and are looking at the menu of the game. But uh, you just do these sets of five puzzle screens with the goal of making it so no blocks are above a certain clear line, and you have to kind of chain them out. Uh, and it starts off pretty easy, but like there's a small uptick in speed and the number of blocks at the start as you go. But then about halfway through, it just like uh, nowhere ramps up like crazy. So there's some challenge there. Um, and then on top of that, there's a puzzle mode with certain clear conditions. There's like a, ver a versus mode against CPU opponents. There's an endless mode. There's a time trial mode, both of which you can set the difficulty and speed yourself, uh, depending on how difficult you want it. And and that's kind of the thing is like, even though it's a simple puzzler in terms of mechanics, it can get intense the second you get past those certain speed or difficulty thresholds. And I think that the cool thing is not only do you have this deep of a puzzle game inside you know a free software thing that comes with our subscriptions but you also have it online for one of the first times because you know switch online works with people remotely so you can do two-player with a friend online which just makes me really want them to do a pound upon 99 i mean it would be perfect after tetris 99 same structure for unlocking skins have the garbage blocks spill over set combo chains to ko opponents like it could totally work and i'd love for them to try it and i'm really hoping that like you know, they actually do it, and people play Paneled Upon, and there's enough of a attention on it that it can actually happen. Um, but as it is right now, it's just a cool free little surprise that they put out four days ago, and I'm loving. And, um, like, between Tetris 99, because you were saying, Angel, you know, if you're like Jason, who really likes these types of games. Like, between Tetris 99 and Paneled Upon, like, this is... I don't know if i go as bold as to say this is the best Nintendo system ever off that alone, but I can't think of a time that there's been such good iterations of both of these games on the same platform at once. Like, when Tetris is strong, Panel Pawns either not there or weak. When Panel Pawn is strong, Tetris is weak. So this is really kind of like the, the, the match made in heaven if you're into these sorts of games, to have them on one system, both free. So, yeah. So that's Panel Pawn, why I'm super into it. But, yes, ultimately, if, you're, if you don't play many puzzle games, it's kind of one the same as some of the others. I get what you're saying. But it's great if you do play puzzle games. But um, beyond just the classic Super Nintendo stuff, Angel, you've been playing a little Lonely Mountain Downhill, right? From the gang over at Thunderful. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised I found this game. Just randomly ran into it, and I don't know, the art style is... I don't know, just kind of caught my attention. It looks like the Porygon team... Porygon? The Polygon team from, like, Smash 64 decided to take a mountain vacation with their mountain bikes, hmm. but... Um, it, it's a simple arcade game. You essentially just pick a path or a, a bike trail and you're just going downhill. And the point of the game, or I guess like what makes it challenging, is you're supposed to watch for your momentum. You don't want to go too fast or you'll fall off the mountain and die and a lot, or you'll crash and die. Essentially, it's very easy to die and dying just gets you um put back in the beginning of the level. And there are checkpoints along the way because the tracks take about three minutes to complete, but you're really going to spend more like five or six minutes on them just because it's so easy to die. But part of the fun is discovering all these other shortcuts. Like sometimes the shortcuts are, I guess for lack of a better term, telegraphed to you. Like you'll see the main path winding down, but you'll see some patch of green going along the side of the cliff where you would think you would die. But really that's just kind of telling you, oh, this is a shortcut. 
So I'm guessing later levels probably won't be as obvious. But it is fun finding those shortcuts and managing to not have your biker crash and die before you land on the safe spot. And they do... It definitely feels like a game that I'm going to go back to a lot just because it has a lot of replay value. Like the one track or bike trail that I did, um, even though it took me like maybe four minutes the first time I played it, after you beat it, you unlock challenges for it that you could do simultaneously. You could choose to beat it in under three minutes while also trying to crash less than 21 times. And I was able to complete that and you unlock obviously different bike parts, different outfits, different helmets, you know. Just stuff mm-hmm. for cosmetics because there isn't really that much else to the game. But right now, like in the quote-unquote expert trial that I'm in, I have to complete the course while crashing less than seven times and beating it in under two minutes. And depending on the mode you're in, sometimes there are some variations where you have to go through every single checkpoint. If you skip a checkpoint, then even if you manage to survive going downhill a ton without dying and you get to the next checkpoint none of them will count anymore because the object of the game was to actually go through each one but there is another mode you could play where you go through that same bike trail but this time it's just about getting to the ending but there are also no checkpoints so if you die moments before the end you're gonna have to start all over from the very beginning oh geez does it, I does just it kinda... show you where you die like mario maker or like dark souls does like does it have a little marker where you pass the point you died and there's like a little x or anything no, I don't. No, not that I noticed. Um, it just starts it back cool. from the beginning. Like I feel like yeah, it's, like it, that, it, it, it's all about like repetition. I feel like that's all yeah. Because this one, because this one is definitely progress. about because this one is definitely about just having those trials mem or you know, those trails memorized so that you can essentially BMX your way down it. But right. it, it's really fun. It, it's kind of relaxing too, just because there's no soundtrack. It's just kind of ambient forest noises because you are in the woods. And so control and the controls are. It's going to be really weird depending on your preferred playstyle, but essentially you accelerate with ZR, and you brake with ZL, and then you could hold down A to do a boost to you know just pedal way faster to pick up speed or do jump over gaps, or maybe just to save some time. But mm-hmm. the part that might get some people is that it's at an isometric view, so the camera's pointing at an up at a downwards angle from above. And it never shifts from that. So it's always from the same angle coming down. So you can either control the bike by moving left and right, which will move it from the perspective of the biker. So since the biker is most of the time biking towards you, essentially the controls are invert or yeah, are inverse. But as he's turning away from you, pretty much they're only left is actually only left when the biker is facing away from you. Every other time, you're just going to have to remember that left is sometimes up, down, left, or right. Huh. But, but I've been, I'm used to that kind of control scheme a lot, that kind of control scheme a lot more. So I feel that's my preferred way to play. It just makes way more sense mm-hmm. to me. The other control method is pretty much the biker will go in the direction you point. So up is up, down is down, left is left, and right is right. But that, uh, for some reason, just feels less intuitive to me, just because it feels weird where, like if I'm essentially if you're if I'm holding right on the analog stick, I expect the biker to go in circles because I'm just turning right on the steering wheel. But if you use the other control method where left is left and right is right and up is up, if you just hold right the whole time, he will keep biking right. So there 
So you oh, have to okay. remember, like, so 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 if there's like a right turn coming up, you don't just hold right to do the right turn. You have to essentially hold down and to the left. You have like, to arc you know, the stick as he arcs his wheel. Yeah, which is kind of so weird. It feels weird. The wheel versus the handlebar. Yeah, you're you're essentially tracing the the path if you're doing one control method, and the other one you're literally controlling the handlebar, which I guess is the easiest way to explain it. Oh, I guess I guess a decent analogy would be like ball cam versus not ball cam in Rocket League. Like one is you're fixated on one point, and that's what the controls orbit around, and one is it just stays the same way, right? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, essentially try both, but it's fun. The only thing is that it's twenty bucks, but I mean, it's it's a fun game that I feel I am actually like motivated to complete everything and try to beat all the challenges. So I'm sure I'm gonna get my my money's worth and time worth. Like but challenges? the challenges are hard and there's like a bunch of different bike trails like just the trail that i'm on right now i know i'm gonna have to play it so many times already just to unlock everything and just i mean just to get through the final challenge which is getting through the whole trail without any checkpoints like that's already gonna be a nightmare but in a fun way in a fun challenging way mm-hmm. just because if i'm able to do that that's gonna feel amazing to get through that whole path without dying one time Jesus. Right. But yeah, I mean, if it's on sale, I feel like it's an easier recommendation. But because I feel like most people are just going to play a few times and that's going to be it. And if you're just going to do that, then you're just going to be wasting 20 bucks. But mm-hmm. so you have to be dedicated to these trails. Yeah. But I mean, it's solid. I mean, the frame rate kind of stutters a little bit sometimes. But other than that, it's, yeah, it's a pretty solid game. I, like I feel it. like it kind of came out of nowhere. Like, I remember them announcing it a long time ago, along with a few other of these sort of, like, physics-y bike games. There's, like, two BMX games like this on Switch, and then there's, you know, Trials, which is a little more stunt-based. But yeah, that one it, you have it, to it, worry more like... about, like, also shifting your body forward and back one. Forward and back right. This one you definitely right. don't have to. You're literally just worried about picking up too much speed and maybe going slow down incline so you don't fly off. So it's more about inertia than it is. Um, yeah, it's more inertia than yeah. positioning. Although there is right. some of that, but you you don't really have to worry about that too much. Right, right. But yeah, it's just fine because like, those were the ones that were dominating the conversation for so long. And then out of nowhere, they're just like, oh, hey, Lonely Mountains is finally out. And then it's like the one that's getting all the praise now. So it's good that's a good game. It's just kind of funny how that unfolded. Yeah. So I guess, I guess it's Thunderful that's... too, so. What was that? And Thunderful's associate in some ways, and they're pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they do good stuff. SteamWorld. Yeah, I don't know. Worlds. Did they make this game? Because I know, like, ever since they became they Thunderful, they've, they've pre- they yeah, they, they've pretty much become a publisher. So yeah, because Thunderful like... is um, Image and Form and Zoink combined to make a publishing house called Thunderful, and they're basically an indie publisher now that is comprised of those two sub companies. So they're and like a they... Revolver Digital, then. Yeah, or like a. I mean, Devolver, yeah, or like a, or like a Raw Fury, or a Tiny Build, or they're kind of one of those like publishing houses as well as making their own games. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, at least that's my understanding. But that's good. That's good because it looks it looks cool. I like the art style. The the, the polygon guys from Smash Sixty Four is a pretty good analogy. Oh yeah, it doesn't um, feel a little play. I mean, it looks it, it's just a nice art style. It's a nice chill game to unwind with. Yeah, I've been I've had the opposite of that experience. I've had the opposite of chill. I mean, I guess Pound Upon was chill for me, but like 
I've been playing Pac-Man uh, Championship Edition Two Plus, and it is definitely the opposite of chill. I mean, I guess if if like you were if if the Super Nintendo games were our old and Lonely Mountains was our new, this is literally the something old, something new because it's a little of everything. Um, and I've heard good things about the series, but what finally got me to take the plunge is that it's on sale for only six bucks right now in the eShop versus the usual MSRP of twenty. And the thing that really struck stuck out to me is it's interesting how it differs from the regular Pac-Man and how similar it is. Like. I mean, I don't. I feel like I don't need to explain the basic premise of Pac-Man, but you know, you're you're going around maze collecting puzzles, dodging ghosts. Um, if you've gone to walk outside in like the last two months, that's basically what you're doing in real life when you see humans on the street and you try and avoid them for the six foot social distancing. It's that. But the point is, like, Pac-Man is very reactionary based, right? So for Championship Edition, uh, that still holds true, but everything is just like faster and crazier. Like the best way I can describe it is like. If you imagine the peak of, like, Pac-Man fever in the 80s and, like, everyone inside Pac-Man just hopped up on cocaine, like, that's basically what this game is. Like, you're still moving around a maze, but you're doing it at, like, double speed. And it's so fast, in fact, that they now have to implement a braking mechanic that will stop Pac-Man in his tracks. And they have to have a cornering mechanic so you can – if you tilt the stick as you turn on the maze corner, you will get to make that turn faster and little sparks will shoot out of Pac-Man while you do it. Um and the the whole like <laughs> the drug analogy actually works even better because the whole thing's also a little trippy. Like scattered around the mazes are these sleeping ghosts that when you pass them they'll wake uh, they'll awaken and start to form chains with the four main ghosts. So you know Inky, Blinky, Pinky, Clyde. I'm only listing them to show that I know I can. Uh, but anyway, these ghosts you know they form these chains or they're called ghost trains in the game. And uh, they begin to block more and more of Pac-Man's path as you zip around. And then adding to the frenzy of that is every time you awaken them, Pac-Man himself will speed up a smidge, which makes it incredibly satisfying when ultimately you get a power pellet and the tables turn, and now you're chasing these huge chains of ghosts. And when you nab one, there's this big, flashy, neon-drenched like little cinematic that plays with Pac-Man gobbling all the way up the chain with some of like, the heaviest, most rumbly... HD rumble I think I've ever experienced on the Switch and it's really just satisfying but um, yeah it's really those ghosts and their trains that like keep the reactionary feel of classic Pac-Man in here just amped up a few notches because uh, by the time you're at like a top speed it's not reactionary in the way a normal Pac-Man is it's more of like a it's more of a twitch gameplay this is especially true when the ghost trains are in full effect because they can dodge you incredibly fast so you need to think in nanoseconds really where they may next turn around and try to head uh, head them off because it's actually only the head of the chain that you can eat to eat the whole train. It's the only way to, to, to like proceed with his, I don't know, is it a feeding process? Whatever, Pac- I guess a feeding process for Pac-Man, you have to hit him head on, meaning if there are these like, you know, 30 ghost long trains, you have to figure out exactly where they're moving and be one step ahead of them all in milliseconds. And for me, honestly, sometimes that, proves to be a little more difficult like i've never been the best at the like super fast reaction twitchy gameplay but one thing i do appreciate about championship edition is that the uh twitchiness is only a component of it like interestingly the mazes themselves are not a free-for-all pellet fest like you would get in a normal pac-man so you're not constantly reacting in the same way you would with a normal pac-man but at slower speed like yes you still need a dodge ghost but the game's developers have kind of laid out the pellets uh in very very specific patterns that are optimal ways to follow through the through the maze. So, um, like I haven't, to give you a sense of what I mean, there's not a single maze I've encountered yet where the entire maze has pellets. It's basically preset paths you can go down of pellets. And while, mm. you know, and while you can still hit ghosts potentially, you actually get a few bonks before they become angry and can kill you. 
So you do get a chance to sort of build momentum up to the twitchy parts. And then those just feel that much more rewarding when you pull them off, or if you're like me, that much more frustrating when you can't pull them off. But um, yeah, it's it's a really interesting experience, and I think in some on some level, the fact that it's it is so twitchy for me can be sometimes the game's downfall because I can often get the trains built no problem and learn the optimal pellet path over a few playthroughs. Like there are multiple paths on the maze; it's not like there's only one path. But you know, you kind of figure out which turns to take. Um, it's similar to what you're saying actually about uh, about downhill where like you know you, you do it multiple times you kind of learn the course um, but then when it comes time to catch the ghost trains the time limits are so short especially in adventure mode um, and again they do that you know to make it more frenzied but the time limits are so short that one or two wrong twitches on my part and I've essentially wasted all the build up I did so well to get to that point so for some folks I mean it sounds like Angel how you're describing downhill that won't be a problem but it can be a bit annoying if you don't want to have to go through that all the time like for me but when I do pull it off, oh yeah, it's it's great when I pull it off. And the game does include a few different ways to sort of reach that like twitchy bliss. Uh, you know, I mentioned there's an adventure mode. In that, you can do um, different criteria you have to meet, like eat six fruit or destroy all the ghost trains two times over with two power pellets. Um, there's of course a standard attack mode. Then in a whole separately branded game within the collection, there's a full co-op mode with entirely different mechanics, such as a one-hit kill by ghosts, which is more like the old Pac-Man, instead of letting you bounce off them. And there are boss battles, and there's a jump button, and like there's all these different things. And if I'm not mistaken, um, the co-op mode, I think, is new to just the Switch version. So it is something kind of catered, catered to the fact that you have two controllers with you at all times. So, so really, I guess, what I'm getting at with Pac-Man is it boils down to, um, if you like twitchy, fast-paced arcade gameplay... Pac-Man Championship Edition 2 Plus delivers in spades. It's visually really cool and how it like mixes classic 2D Pac-Man with 3D elements and different camera angles and like the shakeups of the formula make it really fresh while also still familiar. Um, plus, as I was saying up top, it's only six bucks right now, so that's a lot of content for six bucks. Like it's a steal at six bucks. But yeah, if you're not much like downhill, if you don't think you're going to necessarily invest. Um, the, the, the time in repeating the same levels and learning the exact flow of which pellets to go to and then ha- being able to be good at the twitchiness on top of that even at six bucks it may not be your cup of tea but I- I'm having fun with it even when frustrated like it's never it never makes me angry I'm just kind of like oh, okay I can, I can do this and you know that sort of thing so for six um, bucks that sounds really good but yeah no it's great for six bucks yeah and and they're doing it for six bucks right now because I don't know if you guys realize but the it's um, Friday this past Friday was Pac-Man's 40th anniversary he old and um yeah i'm happy i was able to get the game on sale as a result but i feel like they i feel like they kind of missed the opportunity like bandai namco could have done so much more for a 40th anniversary i feel like they kind of underplayed it you know what i mean like the most they did was a sale and they announced a couple things but for me at least like what were you Pac-Man? expecting i well when they did uh, the 20th uh, anniversary uh, they announced pac-man, Pac-Man, Pac-Man movie no, when they did the 20th anniversary, that's when they uh, did Pac-Man World. That was, I mean, let me tell you about Pac-Man World. Pac-Man World 2 specifically on GameCube, I'd say is vastly underrated. It's, um, like, I loved that game when I was younger. It's basically Pac-Man and Crash Bandicoot kind of combined. Like, you spend a lot of time platforming in a kind of linear way into the screen, but every level uh, would have sort of like a mini Pac-Man maze you have to do. And, you know, the enemies still require you to power pellet, and then there were boss battles, and each world had, like, you know, typical platformer tropes like an ice world, a fire world, and Pac-Man had Mario 64's like uh, ground pound move, and yeah, I don't know. And I don't you know wanted I something that on that level? Well, no, I'm just saying Damn. something. 
I'm saying something new or different. Like they didn't do anything. They just discounted some games. I mean, the closest they came to it was um, they announced two partnerships for Pac- three partnerships for Pac-Man on Friday. One was uh, this one's actually really tri- like kind of crazy. Nvidia has AI that has built a full-fledged interactive Pac-Man maze that is playable completely from scratch. The AI watched Pac-Man and then built Pac-Man, and it works, which is like impressive and also kind of scary in terms of like when robots eventually come and kill us all but they did that they announced that pac-man dlc's in minecraft and then they announced uh on twitch of all places pac-man live studio which it's sort of cut from the same cloth as pac-man versus if you guys remember that from the gamecube or even kind of how championship edition is like divides like take a classic pac-man game and just do something on top of it so inside a pac-man twitch channel you and friends can play together on one maze only one of you needs to win to move on to the next maze and you can basically co-op your way through pac-man or you can just build your own mazes with a maze creator I, so it's kind of a neat that's concept cool. but it's that, in, yeah it's inside twitch which is interesting and the thing that i'm sort of like mm, i don't know is all the screenshots of custom mazes look way more basic than even the most basic regular pac-man maze so, like they look more tamer or simpler or, i don't know so like that's kind mm, of in the people of get used thinking. to it it's only been how many days since that no came? no no i mean the official screenshots from bandai namco oh gotcha. yeah well yeah but yeah but the whatever nintendo would show from mario maker is going to be way more simplistic than what than whatever somebody will that's do true. with the, the tool set. That's true yeah i'll I give you that. i've that's never really been point. impressed by the stuff they show more just like the tools that they had yeah okay i'll give you that one but yeah it um so i guess i guess in a way I mean, I'm just not looking at it through the right lens because I'm like, oh, it's on Twitch. It's not really a thing, but it is a thing. Twitch is huge. So maybe Pac-Man Live Studio is the new Pac-Man World answer. But, yeah, I don't know why – whoops, I lost my headphone there. I just say I don't know why I liked um, Pac-Man World 2 so much. Like I can't – I just kept coming back to it. Like I I never owned it, but I kept renting it from Blockbuster over and over as a kid, kind of like I did with Rush. And it's like – it's one of the few games I actually beat all the way through. So I don't really know what huh. – what it is but it's in my head it's like if spongebob squarepants bad for battle for bikini bottom can get a remaster i don't know why namco doesn't just take pac-man one two pac-man world one two three and throw them on switch or something. well because i think it's probably you're the only person that wants pac-man world one two three and the and maybe and and like you want it unironically people ironically want battle for bikini bottom I know. I know so, I want it ironically. I know it don't make sense. I don't know why. There's something about Pac-Man in general for me that I don't like. You know, most people are like, oh, the guy in the mazes. But, like, I associate him with Pac-Man World 2. And I associate him with um, my local arcade in Montana, which was a cyber station when I was a kid. And he was the mascot. Namco used to own arcades, like, full up, full on, like, a whole chain of them. And I have from back then. I mean, I'm sure they still do of, like, in Japan, right? Oh, yeah, in Japan. But, like is if you think about it now in the u.s that's weird that namco had arcades sega had arcades capcom had arcades it's like a bygone time but um i have so much random you know i do all the ticket games and stuff and i have like a fanny pack with pac-man on it like a pencil oh, sharpener God, you were one of those kids um I, I didn't wear the fanny pack i just got it with the tickets um an eraser i have a bunch of leftover tokens that have like the old pac-man like you know pizza pie with the slice missing thing in the gold on the token which is pretty cool actually and like i used to like legitimately have my birthdays there when i was a kid we didn't have chuck mm-hmm. e. cheese so we'd go there they had a table in the back you rent it you go play arcade games and <laughs> way in the back 
way in the back. And then elsewhere in the mall, there'd be a place called Bob's Pizza, and they would deliver the pizza back. into the arcade. Is basically Chuck E. Cheese, but not. So yeah, like all my Pac-Man associations are like these weird things that aren't what Pac-Man's actually about. It's very strange now that I think about it. But yeah, I, I think you like, definitely had a way different experience with Pac-Man growing up. That's what I'm saying. That's what's so weird. Like, what you did? What would your guys' Pac-Man experience? Am I like, am I that off kilter here? It sounds like I am. Just the arcade, pretty much. Yeah, mm. pretty much. The, the The most recent time that I probably played Pac-Man was from. Namco uh, Studio on the PS2. That's probably. Did you guys not play any of the DS spinoffs like Pack Picks or Pack and Roll? No, I played Pack Picks, and that's about it. But even I don't Pac-Picks know. Pack Picks was a glorified tech demo, to be honest. But it was kind of a neat concept. Yeah, I played Pack Picks. Um, I briefly played the Point and Click Adventure one. I think it was like Pac Man, maybe Adventure on the on the SNES. But yeah, that felt terrible. Oh, that's not true. Maybe, I, I mean, it could have been. Uh, Championship edition, but played which the the oh, first championship, championship yeah, yeah the original. Yeah, I think I, I played I, more Miss Pac-Man than Pac-Man, but I mean they're basically the same thing. Miss Pac-Man is one of the few games that my mom actually claimed she played and was good at. Granted, way back in the day, but yeah, it's um. She, she oh, met last week. I was I was never good at Pac-Man. <laughs> that's pretty, or Miss Pac-Man. That's why I never really played it. Mm-hmm. I was more of, well, I was I more of why. a Galaga person. Oh, interesting. See, I was never really a Galaga person. I was more a Pac-Man person. Yeah. But where do we stand on Dig Duck? <laughs> Dig Duck's fine. Yeah, that's yeah, kind of my it's, attitude. It's okay in very short bursts. Yeah. Oh, I see what you did there. I see what you did there. Um, also, Mr. Driller, I feel like, is like the weird puzzle sequel to Dig Duck. They both go down, basically. <laughs> did you guys ever play Picks the Cat? Um, that sounds vaguely familiar, but I don't think I actually played it, but I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it was like a, it, it was definitely Pac-Man. The white cat, right? What happened? It was like a neon cat, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't, well, now I understand why I was like, why aren't they doing more for the fourth anniversary? And you guys are like, what would they do? Because, like, I apparently had a really Pac-Man-heavy childhood compared to the average person. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure the, I'm sure a bunch yeah. of, a bunch of, uh. 30-year-olds in Montana are probably wondering the same thing. <laughs> yeah, they probably are. I really hope so. Cyber Station was great. I mean, that's honestly, that's where, like, I used to go to that place all the time because there was a ton to do. Like, that's where I played Crazy Taxi for the first time, the Cruising series, the Rush series, Arctic Thunder, Hydro Thunder. Like, it was it was great. Did you guys have, like, an arcade you used to, like, go to as a kid? Uh, or am I also uh, weird on that? Or did I you mean, just go to Disney because we live in L.A. and you guys always lived in L.A.? No, the the closest yeah, that I ever got to more an theme arcade, parks than anything. The closest I ever got to an arcade was when uh, like supermarkets used to have arcade machines. I remember playing right. like, yeah. a bunch of like Tekken and, and Galaga there, but but never a full full arcade. The most recent time that yeah, I went to arcade, rare. aside from Japan, was I would go all the way to Diamond Bar uh, for this one. Ar- Diamond Bar, yeah, for this one arcade called Arcade Infinity because they had a bunch of. Uh, Japanese fighting games there. But, uh, There's um, rest in peace, in Arcade Infinity. Right over here until a couple months ago in Redondo Beach, um, they had an arcade under the pier, and it was huge. It had old games and new games, and even some rides. Surprised you went to all the way to Diamond Bar versus just like across the 105. Uh, what? So where? Where again? Under the pier in Redondo Beach, they just closed it. It was called like uh, Funland or Playland or something like that. But they had like. I don't know, like forty machines. Oh, well, don't get me wrong. Yeah, the round, the round one in uh, in Lakewood has like mm. all the games yeah. that that Arcade Infinity had. So, not missing. Yeah, even a lot of it, stuff it, from Japan. 
Yeah. They're just getting more yeah. and more. Round one's actually pretty Yeah, and cool. there's also the round one by Little Tokyo. Should we, have a lot should we go to round one of these days? Once, uh, once we're allowed. It, yeah, once we're allowed. Yeah. yeah, I'm down. Let's do it. I actually know. Arcades will probably become a cesspool of of disease. Yeah. I don't really want to touch anything. What you gotta do is just like change, wear plastic gloves and change in between every game. Yeah. <laughs> and don't touch your face. But yeah, it's yeah. We'll we'll wait till it's safe. But I'd I'd be down. Cause yeah, the, the thing is like you know we've all collectively been to Dave and Buster's I think together. And like, I guess you guys know the point of reference. But Cyber Station for me was literally Dave and Buster's just without alcohol or food. Like think about like roughly maybe not that, that size but that variety of games and stuff. Well, no, you're a kid. It's fun. I mean, it's like if kids yeah. go to Dave Buster's. Yeah, yeah but yeah, but kids also like food. What? Well, you could get food in the mall. It was in a mall. That's how the pizza was delivered. They just didn't have their own food, which is good because most arcade food sucks. Interesting. Frankly. So yeah, so you like go get like a Wetzel pretzel, or Auntie Annie. I think we had, and then you just go to your arcade. Or Jamba Juice. Oh, we didn't have Jamba Juice. We had Junga Juice. It was a knockoff. <laughs> but yeah, Jumba I'm getting Juice. Junga, Junga, and its its mascot was a purple gorilla. Huh. Yeah, it was run by the students that were at the University of Montana. Like they founded it, and of course it was. And it was. Yep. Yep. But yeah, it's it's pretty good. Like, I'm telling you, that's yeah, I think you lived in a but different yeah, so world. Yeah, that's that's probably why. Yeah, it really sounds like it. I feel like I was in like, I feel like I'm straight out like the like whichever season of Stranger Things it was when they were always in the arcade. That was basically me, but with '90s games. Anyway, point is, Pac-Man World Two, us Montanans, we're gonna make it happen. Um, but yeah, that this does. Uh, we were talking about new announcements, so I guess it kind of transitions us into actual news pretty well because. Uh, you know, we're talking about new takes on old franchises. How about that Paper Mario for Switch? Or, I mean, as it's officially called, Paper Mario the Origami King, which I feel like is missing an and. I think it's cool that a new Paper Mario is getting released soon, but just going to wait until I hear anything more specific about the fighting the fighting mechanics before I can get excited or not. Because what, even like what's on the site, like it just says, oh, line up the characters and attack. I mean, doesn't yeah, really say much. It could still go either way. There's but... an 18 second clip of the battles floating around, and like, so the characters are on like a ring, like they're on. It's like a, it's like a circle with three rings, and you rotate the rings to get the characters as close together in a single line, and you only have a certain number of spins or something. It looks like, and then it from there it jumps into turn based battles. But whether that yeah. means it has like traditional RPG tropes or not. I don't know. I mean, the rumor was this was going to go back to the roots a little, but it's really hard to tell. At this point, all we know is it has rings, and Mario has a move that makes him look like an arms character. But I mean, it looks closer to Thousand Year Door and Paper Mario than it does to, like, Sticker Star or Color Splash. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're headed in the right direction. It, it is interesting how, like... And, and actually, before I even say that, I just... Um, now we're heading in the right direction that way. I feel like we're heading in the right direction... Um, aesthetic wise as well because like all the Paper Mario's did a good job of representing whatever mechanic they came up with you know the paint looked great in HD and Color Splash the perforated cardboard looked spectacular in 3D on the 3DS but um, it is kind of nice that it's actually like origami something that's actually intricate opposed to just like here's a splash of paint and a some like something to do with paper yeah exactly like this is cool because it actually looks really nice um, like it's probably the prettiest Paper Mario has ever looked but I, I do think, to your point about moving back, it is. Um, I mean, well, where do you guys stand actually with with Paper Mario? Like, is 
is the be all end all for you like the original and thousand year door or did you guys like when it started drifting into like the puzzle adventure game that eventually became where did it lose you or where did it demo i mean like i guess sticker star because like one I, I thought one was great two was amazing three was so different that it was its own thing that i felt like you couldn't really compare to say it's better or worse because it's just so mm-hmm. different Mm-hmm. But then Sticker Star felt like aesthetically it was really cool, but everything else looked like it was just dumbed down, like drastically. Like no longer did it involve brand new characters. It was just like the bare minimum you could think of. And then the combat was like just disappointing beyond belief, just because any attack you do is like a one and done only thing. Every single attack was a one and done. You had to go buy yeah. your attacks, which was a horrible mechanic. Because it just, like, it makes you not want to attack when you go into random encounters. And then you also have, like, these real-life objects that you can also use to attack, which just end up making a lot of boss fights irrelevant. Like, yeah, I get it. It's supposed to be, like, a puzzle. Like, oh, you have a giant fan. For example, let's just say there's, like, a fire monster enemy. You can use the fan to blow them away and instantly kill them. I mean, I don't know. There was, like, the game was already easy enough as it is. It didn't need that. I mean, at least the boss fight with Bowser was interesting. He looked really cool as, like, one of those holographic stickers. I mean, most of the bosses were like that. Like, those ones you pay a dollar for and you get them out of the machine. And they're usually fake Pokemon cards. But, mm-hmm. yeah, everything else about that was just disappointing. I, I do think... And then Color Splash also kind of... Color Splash, I guess, kind of took went backwards a little. It kind of did a little better. Like, not all attacks were one and dones, but... Well, it was still card based. It, it, I don't know. It's like two steps forward, three steps back. No, so yeah. that was that was Color Sticker Splash Star. To, Color Splash to me is the thousand year door of Sticker Star. They took one yeah, but that's like, system <laughs> and then elaborated on it. But what, what's weird is like you made an interesting point. Well, Ke- actually, before I even get to my point, Kevin, where do you stand on? Are you kind of in agreement with Angel that it sort of lost its way after Super? Yeah, absolutely. Super Paper Mario was, I mean, it was divisive, but. I don't think anybody can say that it was a bad game. Maybe it was a yeah. bad game in terms of like, like compared to the the RPGness of, of the original Thousand Year Door. But Super Paper Mario was, was I, I think, was great. I didn't pick Sticker Star up because of the things that you guys had said on the podcast. <laughs> right, right. And wow, we cost Nintendo a sale. Look at that. Yeah, right. And then <laughs> I never had a Wii U, so I never got. Paper, uh, color splash but mm-hmm. i mean i i was probably not even going to get it considering that it was basically sticker star 2 and yep. are we counting paper jam no i count that as a uh, luigi that's a that's more of a marlin luigi game okay. which yeah. which in a Unless way makes it the best RPG. paper mario game <laughs> well it makes I, the I, best I, paper I, mario game in recent years just cuz i mean you could tell nintendo was straight up trying to make Paper Mario its own thing because they didn't want to have mm-hmm. two RPG mm-hmm. series. Like, so, yeah, they they, they almost like the tried to de-emphasize the RPG-ness. Yeah, that's actually what you guys are saying exactly what I was, was thinking, is, especially the Kirby analogy that you kind of slipped in there just then, Kevin, is that, um, yeah, I think in a weird way, because, you know, we were all saying Super Paper Mario was good but different, and I think, I think Paper Mario is a victim of its own Super Paper Mario success where they had these concurrent games like you're saying angel and then 
at some point they're like well what if we try something different with super paint mario like what if instead of rpgs being the the rpg mechanics being at the forefront we put the the gimmick so to speak at the forefront so like now it's about like the z-axis and flipping things and that sort of thing and then well if we do that how's that work well maybe it should be a platformer okay but we keep some traditional rpg elements so it still had you know um if i remember correctly still collected experience when you did battles and things like that and then it did well enough, and Mario and Luigi was chugging along well enough that I think Nintendo was just like, well, we can have two parallel tracks here, and we can just do what we did with Super Paper Mario more so. Like, over a million or two or however many million copies of Super Paper Mario sold, people are cool with this. Let's just keep going down that road. So then they took what worked with Super Paper Mario, the exploration, the puzzles, a lighter battle system, and it just doubled down on that. And that's how Sticker Star became this thing where it was level-based, non-overarching world. It was about finding stickers hidden, just like it's about, you know, platforming. It's about, like, getting through a level and exploring the nooks and crannies. And the battling, they're like, well, you know, if we're going this way, do we need the RPG elements? Mario and Luigi's got that covered. So they sort of just pulled those out. And I think they thought everyone would be cool with that, but then not everyone was cool with that. Most people weren't cool with that. So then Color uh, Color Splash was them like I was saying, Thousand Year Dooring it, so they kind of like, okay, well, how do we, like, improve this based on the feedback? Well, we can make battles worthwhile again. Sometimes you actually need to do them. There's actually reasons to do them. We can, uh, maybe instead of random stickers, you have, like, a hand of cards on the gamepad. That'd be kind of cool. And that's, like, picking your attacks. That could work. That's a little more than what Sticker Star offered. And then they kind of iterated on that, and people still weren't happy, so now I don't know where this one's gonna go, but if Mario Luigi's kind of in hiatus with Alpha Dream, supposedly being bankrupt perhaps this is the chance for them to kind of fold it haha back into uh rpgs i don't know but it's interesting to like watch the trajectory of it and kind of you can see exactly where they started easing up on some mechanics and started pushing forward on other mechanics like it's almost like perfectly like it's like a scale and almost perfectly tips the other way i don't know mm-hmm. i i'm my it looks great but yeah like what angel said unless we get a real deep dive on the combat i'm not getting my hopes too high right just because that goes to tsushima comes out the same day so <laughs> that's It'll true that's, yeah it, who would have thought july used to be the dead month for games and yeah doesn't that come year. out like two days after or something yeah. like that something like that damn yeah what a, big big what a uh month. it's a big month for gaming yeah it's um but yeah i do think like I feel like on some level, Sticker Star and Color Splash kind of get a bad rap because if you if they were their own thing from the start, like the Kirby analogy, like if they were just these independent weird little Mario games, and basically it was Scavenger Hunt, the video game, they achieve that goal. They do it well, and Color Splash goes above and beyond in that regard. It has much better writing, like it has, um, you know, the I mean, like, yeah, like things really cool. Like what it, it did, the is they stuck they stuck a name on it that implied something else. That's where they went wrong. Yeah, I mean, they definitely. I would say achieved what they wanted, what they started to do extremely it's well. Just what no one else wanted. <laughs> it was, yeah, it just wasn't interesting. Yeah, so I guess we'll see where Paper Mario goes. But um, so, is it really gonna be the battle system making or breaking it for you guys? Oh, yeah. I'll probably buy it regardless. But I, I mean, I doubt that yeah. I'll, I'll I'll beat it if it doesn't have great combat, great combat system, right? I did yeah, it could only carry it so 18... far because I know Obis played Color Splash a pretty good amount, but eventually they just lost interest. Right, right. I, I, I do know at least one thing because of that 18 second video. It looks like some moves will not have like uh, move counts, so you know you'll be able to do an unlimited amount, like jumping and 
stuff like that won't be tied to an attack system in terms of you have to have a certain number of PP or whatever they call it in the game, <laughs> or paint, paint in, uh, in Color Splash. But yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But I, I do think um, beyond just the game of Paper Mario, the other component of the whole Origami King thing was the announcement itself, which just kind of happened. Yeah, like, there's, there, no, there's no fanfare. It was just no I direct. woke up one day, looked at Twitter, Oh, there's a new Paper Mario game out. Or yeah, and it's out in eight released. weeks. Yeah, it's not just yeah. It's like so such a quick turnaround, and it's really a strategy that I think Nintendo's been uh, honing for a while. Like the idea of replacing these multiple waves of hype with a much shorter cycle. Like you may recall, way back in the Wii days, they tried this with some, uh, something similar with Excite Bots, which was the excellent sequel to the already excellent Excite Truck, and they went from announcement to release in I think three months, and it completely bombed. Just hmm. absolutely bombed. Like, it sold, like, 3,000 copies in its first month or something. Like, it did horrible. This is the first time I'm um, ever hearing about this game. Excitebots? Really? Yep. Excitebots. Yeah. Do you know Excite Truck yeah. from the Wii? Yeah, I know Excite Truck. So take that, turn the trucks into these weird robots that, like, do weird things as you race. So basically how Excite Truck works is you drive and you do stunts, and the stunts give you ratings. The stunts were basically – the trucks were turned into robots that look like animals kind of, and the stunts were turned into absurd things. So, like – strike uh get a bowling strike eat a sand build a sandwich like all this random stuff as you're playing but it had the same basic mechanics as excite truck it was just like on steroids and it had online play and it sold like not well at all on some it's one levels, of those things that I really just, embraces it being a video game yeah and it's great for it although on some levels i do sometimes prefer the simplicity of excite truck but excite bots was just so like wacky it was great but the bummer was because nintendo you know announced it how they did at a time when the, i guess the world wasn't ready um, it bombed, and I think whether a direct result of that or not, for much of the Wii U... Hold games, on, hold on. The world wasn't ready for Excitebots? No, the world wasn't ready for a game being announced and released that quickly. Like, the the, the, the hype cycles uh, okay. weren't attuned. I was going to say, it's and like, no, whoa, Kevin, the world everybody was not should ready have been for ready for Excitebots. The world was not ready for Excitebots. But um, what I said, whether a direct result of that or not, like, I think... The Wii U days was like when Nintendo did a complete like 180, and everything was announced so far in advance with so much information for months and months. Like I know Angel, you hated how much Mario Kart 8 was talked about, or the 45 minute direct walking through every single menu. Detail they literally left Smash nothing Brothers. to discover. Unturned. Yeah, nothing and nothing. And like Pikmin 3, there were so many. But with um, I know you. Mm-hmm. I know even on the podcast, we because obviously the news is the news, so we were talking about what's new with Pikmin three, and I think it's like five episodes in a row. We're just like, oh yeah, so uh, Pikmin three. Did you know it has a map? And that's like, oh Pikmin three. Did you know it has a third character? But but with Switch, it seems like they kind of start to experiment with that a bit more. So we certainly saw some games get way far in uh, far in advance releases. You know, Breath of the Wild two got the most teasing of teaser trailers at three last year. Uh, Metro Prime Four and Bayonetta three. Obviously, years ago we got the logos, and there's been zero follow up except in one case where I said, "Oh wait, the game's not good," and had to restart it. Um, but even still, like now, even there's still longer promotional times, like Pokemon Sword and Shield, that's oh. what comes to mind, where they did wave after wave of news for what like eight months, so nine much. months, and they're doing it with the DLC too. They announced it in January, it's not until June and fall. But hmm. um, much to, I think, your guys' happiness, I'd say that generally it really seems like Nintendo's starting to focus on games that come out in the next few months. Like, initially that meant a game maybe announced a year plus out, but not be detailed until the Direct maybe three or so months before its release. But even within that, like, games are getting much quicker turnarounds. I mean, Xenoblade uh, Definitive Edition, that was announced way back in September 2019, but there's not a single detail given until March 26th 
which was approximately eight weeks before it's now coming out this coming Friday on the May 29th. Or Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, the DX one for uh, Switch. We didn't know that existed until January 9th, and it was out literally almost to the day two months later on March 6th. And now we have Paper Mario announced on May 14th, and sure enough, to the day, July 17th, almost to the day, July 17th. So they clearly seem to be developing some sort of turnaround pattern that's a lot shorter. And I'm not saying that every game is following this pattern, but I do think it's interesting that Nintendo has been able to lock in this rhythm, partially because it really goes to show how much faster news travels in gaming now. Like back in the day, you needed a lot of lead time because, you know, game magazines had to have time to do their write-ups and then mail out those write-ups in the magazine and then follow up with reviews. And then retail that when Nintendo thought when they to... announced Metroid Prime 4? No, that no, but I'm, I'm saying it's sort of like a legacy structure that they were leaning on probably, and that was probably to get people to buy the Switch because it was still the first year. Wait, was it even the first year? Yeah, it was still the first year. So they were like, hey, we got Zelda, we got Mario, and guess what? We're soon going to Metroid. Like it's a, you know, kind of a... Whoa. Yeah, it's like recreating in 2002 when they did Sunshine, Wind Waker, and Metroid Prime all in about a seven-month stretch. Um, yeah, 2002, 2003, technically. Um, but yeah, like there's obviously you know that legacy stuff, and also like retail buyers back in the day, they needed to know what games to stock for the holidays way in advance. That's why like E3 was in May for so many years because they needed that lead time. But now like shadow drops are a thing, and games can do super well. I mean, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon DX, that was. Like I said, announced in January, out in March. In the first three weeks of March, according to Nintendo, it still sold 1.26 million copies, like I was saying last episode. So clearly they don't need to do a whole rigmarole of announcements. They could just release it and have it sell well. And now with less marketing muscle pumped uh, into it for months ahead of time, they can put some marketing up front and then actually sustain the marketing after launch. It's you know The idea that a game's launch is the be-all, end-all of its success is kind of over now. I mean, think about all the games across all platforms that are like that. No Man's Sky had a really rocky, rocky launch, but it's now pretty big and rebounded. Uh, no, I see what Nintendo... you did. What? No, I said I see oh, what you did. Oh, I didn't even see what I did, but you're right. Uh, yeah, or like Nintendo, you know, they keep pushing their evergreens for years with TV commercials. They spent the most money of any game company on commercials in April, and they weren't all Animal Crossing. They definitely were not all Animal Crossing. Um, or, you know, even like GTA f- uh, 5, they have been on the top of the MPD chart, like I'm in the top 20 now. for years. They've sold over 130 million copies. That's more, there, there are going to sell more GTA 5s than total PS2s were ever sold at some point. Like, just think about that. Like, the, the idea that you need to build, build, and build towards day one, and then the game just kind of drops off after that is basically gone. So, you know, eight weeks for a game to be announced and released, that's totally plausible and reasonable that's now, pretty dope like which is yeah yeah like i think i think it's better overall i imagine you guys are on board with that oh absolutely uh when they announced fallout 4 it was released within the same year like that was awesome i don't i didn't end up liking fallout 4 but the idea that uh they were <laughs> able to announce it in well i i mean everybody knew that fallout 4 was was happening like i don't think a lot of us knew that a new paper mario was happening that i mean after that leak sure we we were a little bit more convinced that it was happening, but like everybody knew Fallout 4 was happening and then they announced it and then to have it released within the same year was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's nice because like you don't string people along. Like, I mean, for Nintendo, it alleviates a lot of issues for them because like right now it gives them so much flexibility to shuffle their schedule. Cause you know, if you don't publicly announce a game, you can't publicly de- delay a game. So there's no disappointment. There's no like reassuring fans. I'm sure, like, I appreciate that Nintendo was transparent when they announced the Metroid Prime 4 delay however long ago, but, like, that has got to be embarrassing for Nintendo to have, to have done that. 
it's so much easier to just not announce things until it's closer to launch. I do like I, know I that, do like it when they announced Rhythm Heaven and released it on the same day. Right? Like Shadow Drops. That's it's such a it's such a cool thing cuz then like you get to your point about knowing everything in advance with like the Smash and Mario Kart and Pikmin ones, you get to basically experience things for the first time and not even worry about someone spoiling it for you. Like some games you need a low lead time. Like obviously like Last of Us 2 and the leaks of its plot. Like that's not something that like could be avoided. There's no way they could shadow drop that game out of nowhere. I mean I guess they could. But you know, the shorter time there is between announcement and launch, the easier it is to avoid those sorts of pitfalls. Yeah. Like could you imagine? Nope. Um well okay, I should actually back this up. So about I mean ago, a triple A game getting shadow dropped? No, I have to, no, I don't think they could do that. No, but I was gonna say, can you imagine like um Here's Breath of the Wild 2, out now. That would be crazy. Do you realize how much buzz it would get, though? We actually finished it a couple months after that initial teaser. (laughs) We've just been saying... Well, Nintendo's notorious for that. They were sitting on the Switch port, supposedly, of New Super Mario Bros. U for a good while, as they were with Yoshi's Crafted World. They definitely sit on things till the timing's right. But I think think for something like Last of Us 2, it's a little harder because it's such a big production. It's like they yeah. need to, you know, have a, a ramp up campaign. But, but like, can you imagine if, you know, Last of Us Two dropped, or like there was this rumor about a week ago, not even a rumor, a report. A former Retro Studios employee, uh, it was discovered that he uploaded some uh, concept art to some account of his online for two potential spinoffs that Retro might have made. One was an action JRPG starring Sheik, set in the Ocarina of Time, uh, like the Dark Timeline of Ocarina of Time. And it essentially sounds told dope. the origin. Yeah, yeah and it essentially right tells the origin. Alley. Right? It sounds cool. It would tell the origin story of the Master Sword, and it would follow him. Yes, he's a him in this game. Uh, uh, as he went to go stalk a, a stalk, went to go stop a dark Gerudo tribe from summoning Ganon in some sort of new form. And that's how the sword was forged. And that would be the game. Like, that sounds cool. And then separately, Retro also had one where you play as Mario, like a boo from Mario, and you learn how to scare people. I don't really know what that's about. That like, can you imagine if Nintendo did the Metroid Prime Four approach for like the Sheik spinoff, and just like, guys, get ready for a dark new JRPG style telling in the Zelda saga, and then they have a logo and they do it at the Game Awards and it's this whole thing, and then um, these games got canceled pretty quickly because the heads of Retro all left. So can you imagine if Nintendo did that? The heads of Retro leave and they're sitting there like, well, um. We got to finish these, I guess. But then you'll have the talent that came up with it to actually see it through. Like, that's the sort of pitfall if they announce things way, way, way in advance. Because these sound awesome. Like, I'd be super interested in that Sheik game. Yeah, absolutely. That Sheik wow. game sounds really dope. Yeah. Rest and, like, to Nintendo's credit, they, they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't announce the game off just concept art. But, like, presumably where they were at with Metro Prime 4, Bayonetta 3, they were prototyping things and whatnot. So, like, if they were even in the prototyping phase and announced it. Like, well, I forgot Bayonetta 3 was the thing. Exactly, and like that's the thing. Like these games were not so far, so long. How ago. How like, far ago is it reaching? Um, the Last Guardian level. I think it was twenty seventeen. No, I no, think, God, no. I'm checking. I think it was twenty seventeen. What was what was the the release? The timeline oh, no, for Last Guardian. It was twenty eighteen. If any of you know off the top of your head, Last Guardian. Oh, no, right. oh man, I don't remember when it was announced. I like two thousand eleven, probably, and it got released what three years oh, ago. Gee. So. Bayonetta was announced December 2017, (laughs) which means Metroid Prime 4 was probably announced December 2016 at the end of the Switch's first year to drum up more interest. But can you imagine, like, if Nintendo did the, like, 
dark chic coming in 2020 only to then in 2019 be like just kidding like the fact that they're moving away from that entirely is very good i feel like yeah <laughs> um, it's no duke nukem I, forever yeah well even that came out eventually for better no yeah that's right case. yeah yeah but I that mean, one spanned developers and yeah i, yeah, I mean recoup that final fantasy versus 13 got announced <laughs> i think when i was in sixth grade <laughs> and it took him nine years for a demo for yeah. Final Fantasy 15 to come out. Yeah, hmm. and then there's the you know the will they won't they of Final Fantasy VII remake, which obviously they finally jumped on, but that took a while. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and I, I think for me, like personally at least, like this this newer approach, like the one advantage, I feel like the one advantage is it, advantage is it gives us stuff to like chew on while they while Nintendo figures out their next steps for the year because. Like, I'd say my one through line for the last three or four episodes has been, like, every other game company seems to figure out what to do, but we don't know what Nintendo's doing, you know, in the coronavirus times and everything. Um, but now, like, we – I mean, they, we knew they were focusing on the now, like, you know, focusing on Animal Crossing, on Evergreens, etc. But what works in their favor is the fact that their entire announcement structure has, on its own, independent of coronavirus, shifted to being one of the now as well means that like there's not really like there is no expectation anymore obviously they're gonna play it by ear but like if they have now demonstrated three times in one year prior to coronavirus that they're just gonna tell you things eight weeks out ten weeks out so i feel like a lot of my concerns about like oh well what's nintendo doing it's like oh they know what they're doing there's not telling us what they're doing (laughs) which is different than before when it was kind of like which is obviously my misconception but then before was kind of like uh well, why don't they? Why don't they say anything? What's going on? We don't really know. I mean, so. sometimes it is cool to hear about these projects really early because I mean, it's before anything even has a chance to leak. But yeah, yeah then we get into all of this. Yeah, um, yeah well, that's weird. kind of thing because it it is to your point about leaks. Like the one guarantee for the foreseeable future, courtesy of a leak, is that uh, there uh, are not going to be Nintendo directs. Venture Beat, who first reported no June direct and is very reliable is saying that Nintendo basically told us development partners, don't plan for any all-encompassing direct showcase. Just do your own thing. We're just going to do what we did with Paper Mario. And then VentureBeat went on to say, so that means the Mario 3D collection is going to get one of these drops. The Switch version of Mario 3D World is going to get one of these drops. And then I think where you were angling, Angel, um, the one that they threw in there randomly but is now a thing, a Switch version of Pikmin 3 is going to be one of these drops. So... That's I gonna mean, be a really interesting one to bring over. Yeah, I like. I mean, part of I mean the one thing I loved about Pikmin Three was its its new control scheme. Like, I loved it so much. Like, I felt like you couldn't go back to it. I just love having like the gamepad on the side, using it as a map and as a way to micromanage all the other explorers. And even though the level design was disappointingly easy that we were able to 100% the game in, like, no time. And, yeah, it just left... It left me extremely disappointed just because the gameplay was so fun, but everything else was so boring. But then the DLC came, and that was really, really cool. But without that gamepad, I don't know how they're going to do that on the Switch. I mean, besides just having it be a map you pop up, but then it's just not as intuitive. I don't know. Especially because you're not controlling three pilots. I felt like the gamepad was integral at that point. Like, they actually gave me... A reason to make sure I have both, but I don't know. I I am curious how they're going to dance around that because I mean I I will never get over the irony of Nintendo 
champions of simplified control schemes and casual friendly interfaces promoting a game where the best play setup on Pikmin 3 was one where you had a TV running the game which you controlled with the pointer on a Wii Remote and Nunchuck on a system that didn't come with either of those while simultaneously setting up the controller it did come with, the Wii U gamepad, on a kickstand next to you so you can properly see its map while playing with other devices. In other words, four devices, one game, which is the antithesis of everything Nintendo stands for, but it did work really well. You're right. Yeah, and I don't know how they're going to... I'm very curious to see how they dance around that or make it work on Switch. I mean, you have two sticks, I guess, but that's not... The same. Has it been shown how Wonderful 101 plays on uh, Switch? Um, I believe all they did was they took the gamepad things and just put them in the corner of the Switch screen, and then you just use the stick as a pointer. Oh, okay. I mean, or there they was replaced, a... you know, like things like the crank. You now just rotate the stick instead of gra- grabbing the crank with your finger and like rubbing it or whatever. Yeah, That's and there was always a a no gamepad mode, or I guess oh, a no okay. gamepad way to play it. Like pretty much that's how like I think most people started using the the touch screen, but eventually transitioned to just using the analog stick. Because if you're holding down the R button or ZR, you could quickly create the the shapes, and it's almost more effective than using the st- the stylus. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it'll be interesting. interesting. But yeah, I'm really I'm really curious how they're going to do Pikmin three, and I wonder if they're going to include any new content. Because like when a lot of games, you know, came to Switch and they got the Switch bump, Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze, uh, Captain Toad, Hyrule Warriors. But like the ones that got the biggest bump, like New Super Mario Bros. U, actually added content. They weren't just copy pasted. And I wonder if they're going to give Pikmin three that luxury, or if they're just going to, you know, I mean, anything's going to sell better on Switch than it did on Wii U. It's a bigger install base, so they could easily just pour it over as is with the DLC, with the Christmas map, and call it a day. But I wonder if they're going to go above and beyond. I hope they go above and beyond. Hopefully. I mean, in part, because, like, my my ultimate hope is that... I mean, just include you know, all the DLC. Leads... I mean, that was awesome. I mean, the Christmas levels. Yeah. Like, the, yeah. the level design and the difficulty in the DLC was literally what I wanted the whole game to be like. It was, like, almost perfect. Except it was too little too late. Right. Well, maybe, maybe they'll add, like, a new level or two. I mean, I just want the game to succeed because I want to finally get a proper Pikmin 4. Because to go back to our earlier conversation real quick about how Nintendo announces things too early, does anyone remember when Miyamoto, five years ago, told Eurogamer that Pikmin 4 is, and I quote, close to completion? Yes, I remember. Or how, yes. Right? And mm-hmm. then two years after that, now three years ago, he told Polygon that Pikmin 4 is still progressing. I don't think he meant Hey Pikmin on 3DS in either of those. Ca- I hope he didn't mean Hey Pikmin on 3DS. In for sure, cases, dude. Like, I don't know because I don't so? think he called it Pikmin Four. It's for sure a spinoff. It's a platformer with a Pikmin skin, and it does a good job of like mapping the concepts of Pikmin onto a platformer. You have basically lemmings that help you do things, but it's more of a Mario, and it's more of the the minis from the Mario versus Donkey Kong game that it is a Pikmin game. And I can't imagine he would be saying Pikmin 4 is that. But even if he was saying that, why would he announce it so willy-nilly like that just to, you know. Again, the two-month window make so nicely avoids these issues. Darkest timeline. Yeah, it really is. Speaking of which, the community panel was fun. Or the community reunion was fun. But yeah, it's... Hey, um, save it for yeah, QC. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm kidding. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I really hope Pikmin 4 happens. I hope it does well. And, like... I don't really want to get ahead of ourselves here just yet, because like, let's let's just see if Pikmin three pans out, right? Let's. I guess first things first is, do we get a summer announcement at Pikmin three? 
Because if so, that means as of now, we're getting Pikmin, Mario 3D Collection, 3D World, the already announced Paper Mario, next month's Sword and Shield DLC, uh, which is Isle of Armor, plus you know, you know, smatterings of other things like NES and Super Nintendo games like we talked about at the top of the show. Like, I joked a few weeks ago, I don't remember if it was to you guys or if I tweeted it, but I made some crack. <laughs> if you're just like, laughing to yourself. <laughs> yeah, I might have been. I might be like, oh, what a tweet. But no, I don't remember. <laughs> Basically, I was saying I'm going to have to treat every Nintendo tweet as if it's a mini direct, if there's not a proper direct. And I'm realizing if I, like that list I just read off to you, that is a direct. That is the amount of content on the first part side we would get in a direct. It's just stretched out over a few months. So like maybe, you know, maybe the current situation isn't so bad. Maybe we are getting what we're supposed to be getting. It's just a little looser and... You know, like Nintendo's normal news cycle doesn't even factor in the bits and bobs that pop up, like the smaller stories, the game updates, that sort of thing. Case in point, uh, what? No, I just said awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. And like case in point, I know, Angel, there were two little things Nintendo announced recently that you were kind of wanting to chime in on, like um, the power-up packs for LEGO Mario. Uh, I mean, I like that they're doing additional costumes, but I feel like the review trailer is bordered on... Man, like you don't even need the technical stuff in there. You're just supposed to just play with your imagination, which at that point just makes it feel like why not just create the original set from the beginning, just a standard set, but maybe just incorporate some little sound bites in there somewhere. I'm sure they could have easily done it. I mean, or just to, make. To... But Go ahead, sorry, but I don't know. But some of them feel some of them feel okay, and others feel like uh, like like Builder Mario. Uh, I don't know. He's just a bigger ground pound, and the one. And Propeller Mario is pretty fun. I mean, that one, like, the most of any. It's just like you have to pretend you're flying yeah. around. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what they, I find so... They're interesting, just, but it, I don't know. I don't if know, you man. distill down that minute and a half trailer of these new power-up suits, which will cost two bucks a pop, just for anyone who's wondering, it's basically IRL DLC, but if you distill it down, you have Fire Mario that can shoot fireballs, which translates to you making a little flicking motion with him and then him making a fireball sound. You have Cat Mario, which can climb up the side of things while making meowing noises, which again, you, you do by picking it up and moving up the side mm-hmm. of something. There's Propeller Mario, which you can fly and collect coins with, which again amounts to you just making motions through the air while uh, it makes noises. And then there's Builder Mario, which yeah, like you said, you just hit the thing harder and that's it. You make a downward yeah. motion. So everything's he, just you flailing in a different direction. He's not actually breaking it. Like, for a second, I'm not like, oh, does he come with, like, these extra extra blocks that let you, I guess, add block to the level? You know, kind of how he yeah. does in the actual game? Because, I mean, it is Lego. You can't just add blocks. I mean, nothing's really stopping you from just jumping to the end. I mean, at least we haven't seen if there's anything actually stopping you. It kind of seems yeah. like the focus is to collect as many coins as possible. God himself. Which it... <laughs> which, yeah, which is always the is. part you don't want to focus on <laughs> no and that well new suit mar brothers too would like to have a word with you but yeah it uh That's a, i mean it I, I didn't say that you can't i just said you should i know i know i know um but yeah no that i like that game but there's, yeah. me too me too but there's a companion app for lego mario that literally tracks your coin counting so yes that's literally did i say like yeah i said lego mario but yeah that's literally its purpose but the thing that's like throwing me in a loop is you're paying two dollars to pretend mario's a paper airplane like i mean yes it's counting coins but I, I, I don't know. Like, maybe maybe they – I feel like they took the simplest way out, you know? Like, maybe for Cat Mario, it could come with some sort of – like, you know those slappy hands from the 90s that you, like, mm-hmm. slap against something? And it has, like, that stickiness. Why don't they put it on his feet, and then you can put him sideways on surfaces that you build, and he actually can stand there? Or, like, Propeller right. Mario, like, you know, put little – um give a couple extra pieces that you can build a track, and he can fly down the track. Like, he hooks in – like, his propeller doubles as, like, kind of a – 
you know, like a thing on a track and it can slide down. Like it's kind of anything perpendicular. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I guess they're kids in their imaginations and they can fill in the gaps, but like, but they could have done that anyway. To basically have <laughs> like, Mario go, oh, I'm moving. Could, Let me make you more. Because you know what? <laughs> you know the worst part that now because of this, it feels like they could have just as easily done, like ignoring like a Bowser's castle with standard Legos. Like they could have given you enough Legos to create essentially World One One or like more elaborate worlds because the ones they currently have, they by making them I guess bigger pieces and I guess more kid friendly. They ended up limiting, I guess, how big they can get or how, I guess, diverse, yeah. for lack of a better term. And I feel like they could have had, like, a really cool, like, I don't know, overworld level maker. And it's pretty much like Mario Maker at that point, just analog. And the kids could just as easily have their imagination or do the same thing with that. But, you know, yeah. it doesn't have the the Nintendo innovation, which I sometimes want to, like... I, I like giving them a hand for, or I mean, I'll, I'll applaud their wanting to be innovative, but sometimes I feel like they just want to be innovative for innovative sake, and it just ends up. You mean like the entirety of the Wii U's existence? <laughs> Wii U, yeah, Star Fox Zero, or a lot of games, like, they refuse yeah. to come up with an F-Zero unless they could come up with an idea. It's like, oh, well, what about, I don't know, just a regular F-Zero? I feel like they don't have to. The but, thing that's so funny yeah. about that to me is we're talking about, like, earlier, you know, like, the Kirby games and Paper Mario, and they don't follow that logic. They'll be like, oh, we'll do some weird ones, but also, like, you want standard RPG, Mario and Luigi. You yeah, they literally RPG, do both. Like, games. they, like, Kirby, they give us a regular steam of standard Kirby gameplay with some flourishes thrown in there, but not enough to shake up the formula while still giving us completely weird, like, Kirby's Mass Attack, Epic Yarn. Exactly. That are still really cool. Like, it doesn't feel like right. one is replacing the other, but... For other franchises, they feel like, no, it's all or nothing. Like, what the yeah, heck? well, from my understanding, Miyamoto was never a big fan of F-Zero-GX, even though it was the best one. Yeah. Um, yeah, for whatever reason. Maybe it just wasn't yeah. what he saw the series becoming, even though it's what the fans want. Again, Paper Mario. <laughs> There's your analogy. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's... I, mean, so, I mean, so many people play these games. Like, sometimes it makes me wonder, like, like for example, just like for... Like a quick example, like I guess I can Smash Brothers for lack of a better term. Like maybe they yeah. thought they were being innovative with the online options, or because I mean they're so they go against everything that like the industry typically does for fighting games that it almost makes you question like why they did it that way. And I feel like of all the people that play tested it, that went through the game hundreds of times, not one time did anyone go like, "Yeah, this kind of sucks. Can we just do what everyone <laughs> else does?" Or <laughs> Or were they all so, like, 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 oh, we just don't have a say in it? Like, it's just gonna, like, I mean, I, I find it hard to believe it that is. a sane person would not say this is terrible and just let it go unless, like, they really are just being contrary to be contrary or something. So, there, or like the freaking Nintendo, the phone app, like, no one thought that was not gonna work. So, there's, it's Jeez. interesting that you <laughs> mentioned that now because there is, I think it boils down to Nintendo's philosophy as a company. And I don't mean like, oh, we have to be different. I mean like there were some documents that leaked. Uh, apparently a couple – like a month ago, a month and a half ago, the entire uh, we like everything leaked, like the source code for the OS, the, um, the documents outlining the pitches for all the features. And one of those documents was a slide deck explaining why friend codes make sense and are the way to go. And we look at it as – gamers right huh. we look at it as we know 
you know where I'm going with this. We look at it as um, no, you keep saying we. That's what. Oh, ha. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing this a lot today. Usually I'm on my pun game. I don't know what's up, but collectively, us as gamers, uh, know what is best for a game because we have done the gaming. But Nintendo doesn't look at it as what the gamers want. They look at it as what makes sense for them. So in the Wii era, what made sense to them was making a super accessible device that was easy to pick up and play and it removed all the hurdles with gaming. So the controller wasn't one angle of that, you know, making it like it's something familiar like a TV remote. The games were another angle of that, make it where you don't really have to learn anything. It's all intuitive. Look at, you know, Wii Sports. Look at um, – uh, okay, we sports, <laughs> but you know, like even like Mario and stuff, like oh, you just shake it to make him jump, like things like that. Like it's just it kind of makes sense. Or you just point where you want to shoot in Metroid. Like it's all like very intuitive. And then they looked at in this document, well, what are the hurdles of online play? And they were saying things like, I don't remember the details, but basically along the lines of like people will be uncomfortable if they don't get the name they want. People will be uncomfortable if people see them across multiple games and they don't want to be seen. What if they think they're being stalked? What if people try and talk to them? Like all these things that like, you know, grandma playing Wii Bowling, how is she going to get online? What's comfortable for her? So the friend code thing was their solution. Because they're like, well, it's like a phone number. Everyone's comfortable with phone numbers. It has a level of anonymity and it's fine. And that's basically the pitch that came from NCL through NOA in this slide deck. And to your Smash point, Smash to Sakurai has always been a party game first, even though he accommodates the fighting game World. No, yeah, and, so and with that in mind, it does reason. make sense for the <laughs> yeah. uh, the dumb thing that everyone can pick their own rule set, and you're sometimes forced to play with the rule set whether you like it or not. Yeah, because even though it's, the, even though the it's, randomness is what makes it. But then, yeah, but then it falls apart when, like, in the last game, he had his for glory and for fun. So in, in theory, that was him saying, like, hey, you know what? For fun is pretty much how I want to play. For glory is how you guys supposed to be want to play. But, but then he still. Yeah. Think about yeah, but think about that. He's like, so you want to play this way? Great. I'm gonna give you an option to play that way. But you know what? This is a fighting game that people who want to play a party game can get into. So instead of pushing down people that aren't doing well, why don't we lift up the times they do? And thus the backwards leaderboard happened. So, I mean, it doesn't make sense as someone who you know knows how leaderboards work and everything. But you know, the whole like you'll know how many, what how how do you do it? You're this much better not just, this much you're you're this many people better you're better than this many people yeah yeah so i mean that fits the logic of i'm making an accessible party game that has a fighting element how do we get people that play the party half to play the fighting half if we're going to do it well like what's that bridge that bridge is you don't put them down for being bad you lift them up for being good so if you say no matter how bad they are you're still better than all these other people that sounds great versus wow there are seven million people in front of you you suck which is i mean it's like that logic <laughs> works that. until you realize that anyone that would care in the slightest to even figure out what the GSP or whatever it is, yeah. let's say they're like a new player that thinks like, oh man, like little Timmy got online and hey, little Timmy. he, we haven't heard from him and, and then he, and then he does a few matches and then he's like, oh man, I... <laughs> <laughs> and then like, he gets online and then all of a sudden he's like, like whoa, I'm like. 200,000 that's amazing I'm better than 200,000 people I wonder I must be really good then he goes online and sees like what the what it takes to get into Smash Elite where you're quote unquote good and then he sees that's like 7 million because that's kind of where it is right now I mean that almost makes it feel the worst at that point I mean I feel like everyone knows they're starting at the bottom and if anything it's nicer seeing a bigger 
number at the bottom not, when you're starting I'm, I'm and then coming up. Oh no, I know. I, I'm not. I, no, I know. I'm just saying, like, I don't know why they don't see that. That's yeah. just how, like, I mean, that's how it's been since like people first started competing ever since competing started getting yeah. like documented. I feel. Yeah, I mean, I I do understand why that ranking system makes sense for the more random items on those sorts of battles, but I don't understand why for for glory. I mean, I do on some level, but I don't understand how they didn't think the next step. But I think that is partly why the Switch, for example... Actually, no, I take it back. I don't know why the Switch has the Nintendo Switch app. I don't, because the Switch <laughs> thing almost made sense. All right. No, no, no. The Switch thing almost made <laughs> it's like, sense no. because... Like, hold no, me back, hold no, me back. No, Nintendo, you're wrong here. No, I'm, 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 I'm done like defending I, you. It's like when I realized that Cars 2 was a bad movie, like in the middle of <laughs> saying that it was a good one. Yeah, no, but like... I get the friend code thing in 2006 because online gaming was Jason not unplugged in a mainstream way. But I don't understand in 2016 when gaming online is prevalent, Words with Friends and all of that, you know, Candy Crush. People are playing online through these mobile games for years. I don't understand why Nintendo now still feels the need to put a barrier up. I did get it back then because, like, at that point, you know, it was Xbox Live. It was the early days of Sony's infrastructure. It was uh, Nintendo Wi-Fi connection. It was very new especially for their demographic but it's not new anymore like what are you doing nintendo well honestly it's because nintendo is an old-fashioned company that still hasn't gone with the times like let's look at evo for instance evo was just dropping super smash because their netcode isn't up to snuff and their Mm, netcode isn't up to snuff like i guess angel could talk about this a little bit more like how has that been for you played up <laughs> um honestly playing online isn't that bad and just the only problem is that you do have to get used to it like honestly i, I play online a ton i mean not so much anymore but when i did like i could there were i've had plenty plenty of matches where i could i couldn't tell you where there was lag like it felt no different than playing offline but i've played against people that only play offline and then when they play online even though i feel there is literally no lag whatsoever they won't stop complaining about the lag and i they pick up on the millisecond yeah so i'm like all right just get used to it but i mean after maybe like a couple more matches they finally get used to it i mean it's just an adjustment essentially you just press a button slightly later than usual sure it's like but the change is so small the average player won't notice whatsoever but I mean, the fact that that discrepancy does exist does would be horrible for an online scene, especially because a lot of these people almost never play online for that reason versus people that... I mean, if they did play this game online, yeah, you'll have those people that never play online versus people that literally only play online and they're considered, like, the best in the world online, but they don't really get recognized as the best Smash player in the world unless it's offline, even though, in theory, they could be just as good just because there's that discrepancy. And no, no, I just find it. I just find it interesting. Like it could be, like evil saying, like, "Oh yeah, we're not doing this no matter what." Or, I mean, Nintendo is the game with the the most entries. It always has like one of the biggest crowds of any of the games at Evo. So maybe for all we know, like Evo could have been like, "Come on, Nintendo, just do it anyway." I mean, Smash is Smash. There's plenty of online tournaments they could figure it out. But maybe I guess Nintendo also could have pulled it on their end, thinking like, "Yeah, we know this is going to be a PR nightmare, potentially," but. Yeah, but but I also well, feel like every other game that that that's on that list has decent enough netcode like across the world that that's why like that's probably why why the 
the organizers decided not to because you're also bringing in the fact that there's going to be players in Japan, there's going to be players in the U.S., there's going to be players in Europe. Like, yeah. Well, the thing is, like, now only like, four of those... international. Well, like, I mean, only four games in that whole tournament are going to be open tournaments as opposed to the usual however many. They have, like, 12 games at EVO that are usually... Which are the four this time around? Um, the... The... the, the More... Mortal Kombat, Mortal right? Kombat yeah, that was one of them. It's Mortal Kombat 11, Skullgirls, Sun, um, the horse fighting game, the quadruped fighting game. Yeah, then, then oh, fighting oh, hurts. Um, yeah, then fighting, fighting hurts. hurts. Fighting hurts. Yeah, then and hurts. the cross blue something that new fighting game. Really? Oh wait, what? I, I thought. It was oh, like Killer Instinct. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Killer Instinct. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I was just yeah, so because I remember Killer Instinct wasn't anywhere, and now it's like filling the Smash Void, even though it has nothing. Yeah. So with the exception of Mortal Kombat and them fighting herds, yeah, the other ones aren't even new games. They're just like literally putting in the games that they know have a really good netcode. Like not even Street Fighter yeah. Four, Five, yeah. which is, I mean, debatably, actually not even debatably, it's like the crown game of the event. It's like the whatever Street Fighter game is out at the time is always the the pinnacle fighting game of I guess caliber, as they put it. Like even though Smash gets more mm-hmm. entries, it's always like Street Fighter. That's how you wrap it up, and that's not even being like a featured game in in this capacity. I mean. They're obviously planning something else. They're probably going right. to have, maybe they will have some local stream things, but they'll. There's going to be such a small number of people in such a controlled environment that it will allow them to do a local. But maybe they're going to flout certain people, like an I, invitational I, of sorts. But I don't know. That still doesn't even seem likely. I do think that uh, Andrew you raised a good point. That I don't know if this is entirely Evo's decision to not Nintendo because I'm sure they want the eyeballs and the revenue that comes with that. I bet you it's also in large part Nintendo because they got to sit back a few weeks ago as not really directly involved with watching uh, Facebook Gaming's Mario Tennis Open Celebrity Tournament, which in of itself was cool because they got all these huge uh, tennis players and all these huge celebrities and they got them to play together. And it doesn't matter if they're not good or whatever. It was for charity. So conceptually it was cool. But the problem was... The game lagged, crashed, all sorts of stuff, and it wasn't a good look for Mario Tennis. I'm sure on some level, Nintendo wants to be able to control that environment a bit better, which is probably why, like, even in the midst of Evo dropping Smash, Nintendo's like, "Oh well, we have the online open through Battlefly, and we're still doing that, and we're gonna. If you want to do that, you can win a Fighter Pass, uh, a Volume Two Fighter Pass DLC code, Splatoon Two, and Arms download codes. Like, we're giving you stuff. Like, you can come play with us." But they get to control that a lot but, better, and it's a much smaller I mean, audience. Yeah, also, people go in knowing that it's an online there. thing. So, but but that's yeah, also exactly. a North American open only, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> yes, yeah. So that's what I mean. They get controlled a little better in terms of like it's it's smaller in every sense. Yeah, it's funny because yeah, I, yeah, I don't know just... if you. The last time they tried to host an online tournament that they actually streamed, I don't remember what I don't remember what the the circumstances was, but there's like a clip that's like. Yeah, Nintendo? there's a there's a clip that's passed around as like, like around the Smash community as being infamous for, like there's lag going on, like, in the stream, like it's clearly lag. So then they cut to the yeah. the announcers that they have like in the building somewhere that they're just like, kind of like yeah they're just chatting about the fight, and they're like reassuring they're like oh like yeah it looks bad but don't worry on their end they're not seeing anything whatsoever like but it's like oh it, I think I remember that but it's like like oh no they they, they yeah. are it was, it was the online open. yeah it's like. It was last year's online open. Yeah, it's like, like yeah, they're trying to kind of bury it under the rug. So they're just trying to bury it exactly. under. I mean, hide it yeah. under the rug. Um, 
<laughs> you're some sort of mobster apparently but yeah it's uh yeah i think it's a lot i think it's both evo doesn't want it and nintendo doesn't want to have the blowback because like i feel like the conversation like the mario I mean, it's not like they announced audience, anything at evo anyway the conversation i saw on twitter was everyone like wow this doesn't i run. mean unless they were going to do something crazy this year and actually put the the arms character trailer during evo because i mean some games do announce it's like a little fighting game e3 but Nintendo, I guess, has yeah. never really done that, so maybe it's not even a big deal. They teased they would soon announce a trailer. I mean, last time, the, or shoot, soon debut a trailer last yeah. time. Well, actually, yeah, they did say, well, ARMS character was going to be in June anyway, and EVO is like early mm-hmm. August. And EVO would be, ju- yeah, well, now it's July. They're going to do it all it's, weekend. And it's July, five weeks. Weekend. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's, it's, it's cool because like, you care about competitive. Yeah. Yeah, and if you care about competitive fighting, it's kind of cool. Cause, it's like, like a season. Be, for those who care about this. Yeah, and for the, but even more so because like in June, for those who do care about the online open and do all watch that, it is normal tournament style. No items, three stock, all that. And that's going to run last weekend of May and every weekend in June. And then the first weekend in July, you just switch over to all the other games on Evo for another month. So you have two solid months of like actual stuff to either do or watch or both. Which is kind of cool. Something you can't really do when there are these, you know, hyper local events where you have to be there in person. It's only for like three days, so there is a, there is a silver lining to it for sure. Yeah, definitely. But Angel, I do believe while we're while we're all like you know have bone to picks right now, I think there was something you wanted to bring up about Mario Kart Tour, right? Uh, well, I mean, I, I don't just <laughs> that's I mean, I don't just like that game. <laughs> like it just exists. It was just kind of it yeah. tried. I to, just like that game. I mean, it, it's. I should not, yeah. I, 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 this, like, this episode is full of, like, taking Cars back away. Two again. Yeah. It's like, it, 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 this episode is the quarantine getting to all of us, and we're starting to go stir-crazy and get mad about dumb little things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I was pretty much trying to lie to myself, telling myself, like, oh, you know what? This game did a good job with what it attempted because it wasn't trying to be big. But then it's like, no, it could have. Controls. Like, the, I thought the controls were fine. But they were fine for what they were. I don't think they're, they're like, that hard to figure out. But... They do limit what you can do in the game, like as a design space yeah. overall, and they could have done way more. I mean, just look at all the Sonic racing games that are like on, i on iPads and iPhones that actually work well. But point is, yeah, mm-hmm. it's that it shouldn't exist the way it does. But point is, like that game of all of them, <laughs> like it's getting like more characters. I mean, it already has a bunch of crazy characters, and like DLC that just like yeah. gives me horrible FOMO for Marker Deluxe because that game's just been sitting there, like. It's existing when you have like Funky Kong and Dixie Kong actually getting added there. Dixie Kong, I think it's like her first time even appearing since when the last time Dixie was in a Mario Kart game, if she was ever even in one. I know Funky was Wii. Was Dixie also Mario Kart? I don't even think Dixie was ever in a Mario Kart game. And now look at her. And that cart, the Ram. I know. And like, a character made a debut, (laughs) like a new character, not like an alternate skin color, like in Mario Kart Tour, when like they could have just as easily, like, made DLC for Mario Kart Wii I mean for Mario Kart Deluxe 8 I mean it's not like they don't I have do, the money um, to do it they clearly have a ton of money they're like drowning in it right now but it's like yeah. I don't know I don't know I mean that kind I of applies to a lot of games though, like, like, they I clearly do, have the I... money to do more Mario Party DLC they have the money to develop all these games a little right. longer but a lot of them are just feeling I don't know disappointing and sh- coming short it just feels like they can get away with it because they're Nintendo I think to parse that out a bit, I think on some level, I, I almost kind of do get the logic of why the Kongs are in Mario Kart Tour specifically. 
Now, it doesn't excuse why they're not in Mario Kart 8 as well, but I see why they're pushing them so hard in Tour, because, like, one Nintendo's big pushes um, for their mobile apps is, you know, they want to rope in folks to the IPs and then convince them to jump over to proper Nintendo devices. And they do this in part by, you know, having someone make a Nintendo account, and that kind of becomes their centralized Nintendo identity, and they use it to log in everywhere. And while we didn't really talk about, like, how Nintendo's mobile division did when we talked about financials last episode... Um, it is there and it is growing. Like Nintendo brought in something like 51 billion yen off mobile last year, which is up 11% from the year prior. And then there's this, uh, you know, they had the financial briefing and then they do a Q&A afterwards. And the transcript for that came out since our last episode. And in that episode, uh, in that transcript, Centuro Furukawa, Nintendo's president, was emphasizing how it's these mobile games that are helping drive over 100 million Nintendo accounts being created. And while there are, you know, some new apps in the works, right now he's saying that Mario Kart Tour in particular, Animal Crossing in particular, are main focuses to continue doing that. So if you look, if you take into consideration and look at, like, Nintendo promoting, how they're going about promoting the current Jungle Tour, which is where these guys and Rambi are debuting, um, they put out a trailer. They show Rambi in his original Donkey Kong Country sprite form, and then they up-res him into Mario Kart. You can like kind of see what they're going for here. Like Nintendo's making a nostalgia play and hoping that Laps fans, especially right now when they're staying at home, nothing to do, will jump into Tour because it's free. And from there, they can move on to Nintendo's bigger projects. But I do agree that just because they're doing that on Tour does not excuse them not... You know, there's zero reason Dixie and Funky have to only be in Tour. Like the same nostalgia play can be done... Farm actual money, well. which I will spend. They could give us yes, more tracks. They could exactly, join Captain Falcon. I mean, they've already like teased everyone with two Captain Falcon stages or uh, zero stages. Even having him like come out on a poster, yeah, like so much... in the movie or in a billboard or giant television. Right, right, and there's so much money to be made in that too. Because there, there's another interesting comment in that same Q and A from Furukawa where he was saying um, that, like, in light of work at home, and I quote. Our thinking is that more than ever, we can't rely only on new titles, but need to ensure that we are communicating the appeal of our already released what? evergreen titles to com- uh, consumers and creating opportunities for consumers to experience them. So like, not to read between the lines here too much, but to me that sounds like some of their evergreens are literally, as you're saying, Angel, perfect for DLC. They're ripe for DLC. If Nintendo's hands are tied in terms of what they can do from home, like surely adding assets to an existing game is easier remotely than building entirely new games on new engines perhaps from scratch, right? So if they do that, it gives the game a profile boost in the media that simply running an ad campaign doesn't do in the same way. It'd be organically covered. It'd be much bigger. And then there's all of us, 25 million Mario Kart uh, 8 Deluxe owners in the world, who, literal number, who will go buy the thing. So I don't quite understand why they're not doing it. Like if you Like if you think about... All the Switch owners who can now double dip, like month after month after month, Mario Kart 8 continues to chart in MPD's top 20. On April's charts, the game was the second best seller on Switch, only behind, of course, Animal Crossing New Horizon. But, um, and by the way, this wasn't a month where Switch sales were through the roof. It was the top selling system for the 17th consecutive month. For once in a long time, we actually have concrete numbers. In April, the Switch sold 808,000 units. That is the most a video game system has ever sold in any April. It surpasses the previous record holder, the Wii, back in April 2008 or 9. In fact, if you look at the um, year-to-date period of January through April, uh, of any year in U.S. video game history, the Switch has now become the highest-selling video game console in that four-month period, in dollar sales ever, which is especially impressive when you realize the previous record holder, the Wii, costs $50 more than the Switch Lite costs now, and it's the Switch Lite that's more readily available, not the regular Switch that's more expensive. So they have a cheaper thing that people are buying in higher quantities to the point that's making more money than the Wii did a decade ago, or than any console has any ma- ever made. 
it, it's it's crazy. And uh, the point I'm gang here, uh, gang at here, is that even with all those switches sold, Mario Kart Eight is still the go-to for so many people. I mean, it's in the last 12 months, it's been one of the industry's top 10 best-selling games. In 2020 alone, it's been one of the industry's top 10 best-selling games. So, like, there's a huge, continually growing audience for the DLC. It's not just the 25 million that already are there. It's this literally every month, month after month after month, there's all these opportunities for Nintendo to, like, seize that crowd and put out Dixie and Funky and Captain Falcon and what have you in the game. It's very weird that they're not. And they're probably saving it either for Mario Kart 9 or the eventual Nintendo Kart. Yeah, I don't know if they're ever going to do Nintendo Kart. I feel like they would have already crossed that bridge when they, like, they could have easily... I really hope they do. I mean, like, Mario Kart 8 kind of feels like they're setting us up to do a Nintendo Kart next because it does kind of feel like they already, like, drained the well of Mario property racing. I mean, that's eight races already. I mean, eight games. Yeah. There's only so many times I could go through the same Nintendo Fight Desert as pretty as it looks. I think, I don't think they're ever going to rebrand it, though. The closest they can maybe do is Super Smash Kart, but Mario just, Kart. Is much then more then just take a, a page from Sega. It'll be Mario Kart Nine. <laughs> just, just put Mario and All Stars yeah. racing. Mar- Mario and All Stars. Mario Kart. Kart Universe. I don't know. Mario yeah, Kart Galaxy. Like yeah, and then they can move away from. Yeah, and then they can move away from the um, the numbering scheme yeah. finally. But yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it seems like a no brainer. But you raise a good. Oops, I just hit my laptop. You raise a good point, guy. Could they could just be saving it? Because, I mean, the opposite side of the coin of what I just said is, okay, it's selling so well, why even do anything else? It keeps selling as is. But it's just like there's, there's money to be made from the people. Getting 10 bucks from, exactly, exactly, exactly. So, But since we're, um, since we're already talking about MPD a bit anyway, if you're curious, um, game industry is crazy right now. Like spending in April is up 73%. It's the highest ever for an April in gaming history. Like the top games, Kevin, you like this, Final Fantasy VII Remake, number one game Woo! of the month. Uh, yeah, Call of Duty Modern Warfare somehow snuck back up to number two, and then Animal Crossing was at number three. What's kind of interesting, though, is that Just Dance, of all games, Just Dance 2020 is creeping up the charts. Highest position the game series has been since 2014. Number one on the overall, but number three on the Switch-specific chart. And I can't help but imagine that that must be because Nintendo doesn't have more ring fit out there. Like, people want to be active at home, and there's this game that has a lot of momentum right now in buzz we ring fit adventure but you can't find it i was anymore. seriously thinking about picking up uh fitness boxing <laughs> like that was that because you couldn't get ring fit yeah, or is that exactly. an addition to no just because yeah. i couldn't get ring fit and it, right and it's it's yeah and i Dude, wonder like fitness boxing sold i, I didn't bring it up really quickly but, but like before i forget but hmm. yeah i thought i was getting close to the end of ring fit adventure because i'm like at level 100 like my character has already reached level 100 and mm-hmm. everything felt like it was wrapping up. But then just out of curiosity, I'm like, I'm just going to, like, Google how many levels you can get. Like, you know. How many more are um, there? Apparently, I could get up to 301. So I'm, like, only a wow. third of this game that's apparently, that's, apparently, that's apparently, like, a monster. So, yeah. Definitely going to last me a long time. Two and two I think this is why I haven't heard point. any um, post-play you... impressions. It's, like, everyone that... Like, I remember, like, Game Explain was like, oh, yeah, we'll come back to you once we beat the whole game. And it's, like, never happened. And it's going to probably keep growing because uh, another thing that Furukawa said in the Q&A is that they think the um, potential demand has not been filled for Ring Fit. Like, basically, they know their shortages. Oh, so they plan to – yeah, he thinks. He just thinks it. But he's saying we plan to put emphasis on its sales as a core tile during this fiscal year as well. So I would expect 
at bare minimum a huge marketing push for Ring Fit once they get production back up. Potentially more DLC like the uh, rhythm game mode, which like you know again goes to show how very much right now to go full circle with all this. Very much Nintendo's living in the now and promoting in the now with their marketing versus looking months and months ahead. So it kind of all meshes. Like modern Nintendo is very much eight week chunk Nintendo in a way. Um, but yeah, it's, it's Ring Fit. Yeah, that's a huge. I bet they are so mad at themselves that like this is the perfect time for it. I am curious if like Clubhouse Games is gonna in a different way kind of do like ring fit is for fitness clubhouse maybe old for people board game nights for people you can't see in person like i'm curious how big that's gonna get uh what did you say <laughs> old people <laughs> i mean you're not wrong but <laughs> but there, there's actually um another game that saw boost on the mpd chart as well that i want to point out which is mario mario kart wow mortal Kombat 11 which crept back up to number 13 on the overall chart um and I guess with all this talk of DLC, if Nintendo wants any sort of litmus test of how DLC can boost a game in the midst of, you know, a pandemic, uh, this may be the one to watch because I think this week, I think like Monday or Tuesday, so right after this goes up, they're releasing the uh, Aftermath DLC for Mortal Kombat 11, which brings back friendships for free, right? Brings them back. Yeah, friendships and stage fatalities. And yeah, and then they're adding paid content that people want on top of that in the form of a single-player story a new campaign within it and three additional fighters including RoboCop. So It's crazy. Have you seen fatalities? I have not. Is they're, it cool? Yeah, they're they're really they're really funny and uh one of them is uh a I was going to say slight nod, but no, it's a, it's a total full nod to to one of the most hmm. uh, iconic recognizable moments. scenes in Robo yeah, iconic moments in RoboCop history. It's definitely one of the things that people would be like, oh, they, did they put that in there? They mm-hmm. have to put that in there. It's like, oh, yeah, it's in there. Don't worry. And I, I like the is spin it, it, that they it, that they put on it, too, though. I'm going to have to look this up. I don't want to say my guess in case I do spoil it. Yeah, I did watch, if I'm right. yeah, I did watch the trailer later. After. I have a feeling I know what you're saying. I have a feeling. But, I mean, it yeah. is nice to see, like, NetherRealm's at least supporting this game a lot longer. Because typically by now, they would have already announced their next game and... It would have already. Three and, right. Yeah, it would have just gone through the next rotation. Right. But yeah, like letting their fighting community actually grow for a bit, like seems like a really smart move for them, especially with, you know, I guess like how long the development times for this one and Injustice Two were. Or actually, not even long because they had mm-hmm. to force them into their typical schedule. So how grueling it was. I mean, didn't like one someone. I don't want to say died as a result, but someone did die during production of Injustice Two. Yeah, really? someone passed away. They they have a memorial for him. Wow. I don't know. If, could it have been ready to overwork? Could it not been? I don't know. But definitely didn't look good for them. I mean, they already have other stories on them. So. Oh, yeah, like the PTSD from people had to research how to do yeah. fatalities correctly. But, I mean, I don't know. The love and care they definitely put into this like definitely shows. Like, I really wish... Uh, it sounds horrible to say because, like, we don't deserve how what Smash Brothers has grown into right now, character-wise. It just really sucks that everything around that is still not that great. Like... What do you mean? Uh, just, like, getting to certain... Like, pretty much the, the gameplay options online. Or at least, like, for multiplayer. Like, so many things that come so close to being perfect. Mm. Like, I love that, like, one of the things I really hope they added was added in, mostly, which was the the team battle mode. Essentially, you pick, like three or five different characters and each one represents a different life. So you could start as Bowser and end the fight as Mr. Game and Watch. But for whatever reason, you can only do three or five. You can't just like pick your own number. Like there's just like 
lot of pluses and a lot of weird sides that are like just almost ruin a perfect experience. And at this point, it's like, why not also throw in costumes that I keep like you keep adding? I mean, Mortal Kombat doesn't seem to have a problem doing that, even though the amount of rigging and modeling they have to do probably per character is like the equivalent of like two or three in Smash Brothers, just like detail wise. Like it's crazy. But then again, I don't know what else they're working on. So, yeah. And, and the thing, even to Mortal Kombat's credit, like friendships, that's a lot of new animations they had to make. And they're all wacky yeah. and wonderful. And like, it, I love how it subverts the entire concept of Mortal Kombat so well. But, um. It's like, give us new taunts. Like, what yeah, the heck are know, some like, of these taunts? Like, what is Bowser's down, down taunt? Like, what, what did they use as inspiration for that? I don't even know, like, what he's supposed to be doing. It's the one where it looks like he's like tripping on himself <laughs> for some reason. Because cause I guess. Oh, yeah, I know. Because, yeah, you know Bowser. He's known for always tripping or. That clumsy klutz Bowser. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh... Yeah, I don't know. But, yeah, it's, it's an interesting point that the way that different companies feel is the right approach to supporting their games post release. Like, it's. it's... It's, I think it's going to be a little while before companies like lock in the right way and they're all going to be doing it slightly differently. And then, of course, they're all going to follow one path, except Nintendo, who always does their own things. So. Yep. But I get where you're coming from, yeah. It is nice, though, that all this stuff from Mortal Kombat will be on Switch. That is cool. Yeah. Like, yeah. I feel like a lot of their parties kind of don't give Switch equal treatment, but it's really cool that Warner Brothers and, you know, NetherRealm actually I mean, did. In this it's, I mean, the Switch is doing so well that they'd have to be crazy not to... You would think, right? So explain to me why is Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 not? Oh, well, that's easy because they're crazy. Like, I literally just said you would have to be crazy. Yeah. Okay, there you go. All right. Duh. Yeah, no. All right. And next topic. No, no, but seriously, like, I don't understand that one at all because, like, I mean, first of all, the game sounds great. Um, Tony Hawk. Uh, so Activision's basically doing a full on remake. Maybe they tried and it just doesn't work. Hawk games. Keeps crashing. No, totally works. I mean, dude, the, the Switch can run Unreal Engine five. It can run Tony Hawk. <laughs> like, the and not only that, but like the people that are making Tony Hawk, they uh, it's Vicarious Visions. They're the developer. They're a studio that really like cut their teeth on Nintendo platforms. I mean, you may know the name more recently for their Crash remakes, but before that, they were the sole developer of every Guitar Hero for Wii and DS. And before that, they were known as the Wizards who were somehow able to port Tony Hawk's Pro Skater two and three to the Game Boy, Game Boy Advance, and they actually made it really fun. And somehow, some way, they will take these N64 and GameCube 3D worlds, downsize them into a system that can't actually do real 3D, and then do some visual trickery to like make it seem 3D with isometric camera angles and all sorts of other stuff, and it played like really well. Like I had Tony Hawk 2, um, I got about a month after I got my Game Boy Advance, and I distinctly remember how amazed I was by how like, good it was. I mean, sure, like, Mario Advance was fun and Rayman Advance was cool and I got those with launch but a month later like playing Tony Hawk in a way that now I looked 3D but felt felt so much like the console counterparts even though it was on a Game Boy like that kind of blew my mind even if it was you know it took some hits fewer skaters fewer parks uh, but still like having it like proper Tony Hawk experience on the Game Boy Advance was crazy so if Vicarious Vision can do that I really don't understand why they couldn't do a Switch All I can think, think is uh, visual fidelity they don't want to lose. Possibly. They don't want to lose that. But even then, like again, looking back at Tony Hawk One Two, unless their whole argument or two and three, but if their whole argument's like no, like if it's all. So about you're the saying they should create a new game specifically, like a stuff. Switch version? No, they can downres it. Well, because here's the thing: what if like the, uh, Tony Hawk? Well, no. Here's the thing: is so if they're saying it's just a visual remake, sure, but they're actually doing a lot of cool stuff with the game itself. I mean, yes, it's the first and second game, new visuals, it has all the same skaters. 
I think the majority of the music's back. Um, but now it has online play, has online multiplayer. You have an online uh, skate park builder where they have this new meta within the game where different tasks you do in Tony Hawk 1 or 2, different accomplishments, different tricks you unlock, whatever, will unlock parts to build your skate park. And the skate park will be kind of like a third mode in addition to 1 and 2. So there's like this whole other element to the game beyond the visual fidelity, which is why I'm kind of like, mm. I mean, every other game seems to be willing to take the hit. And I think I think what's actually kind of annoying is, as a Nintendo-only gamer, like Tony Hawk has always been big on Nintendo platforms. Like it was there on N64, it was there on GameCube, it's right there along the PlayStation. It's funny because I always thought of it as a PlayStation well, game like, or as PlayStation property. But like, no, I know. But here's what's weird: like American Skateland, remember that one? Tony no. American Skateland. <laughs> American, Sk- American was really dope. And it was the first third-party online game for the DS. It was a Nintendo Wi-Fi Connection launch title. It was the first major, outside of like Fantasy Star and GameCube, the first major third-party online game. And then like when the Wii came out, they made an exclusive Tony Hawk game just for the Wii and DS, Tony Hawk's Downhill Jam, which, granted, was a bit more of a racing game. It was like a stunt And it wasn't game very good. Weird. Yeah, but the point is, <laughs> they still like were, like Tony Hawk was that closely associated with the Nintendo brand that they made an exclusive Tony Hawk game for a Nintendo launch. So, like, it's not like... It's not like it was so, like, oh, it's just afterthought on Nintendo from the beginning. They were there with Nintendo all along the way. So I'm No, they, well, they this. weren't there all the way. American Skate Land, if I'm not mistaken, was the last time that they were on a Nintendo console. No, they had um, Downhill Jam. Okay, okay, so, yes, so Downhill right. Jam. Uh, a not very good game. What about Tony Hawk Ride? And after yes. Downhill... And after Downhill Jam, uh, well, it was Proving Ground and Project 8 followed that that weren't on the right. console. That's right. Then Pro You're Skater right. HD didn't show up on, on a Nintendo platform. So you can just argue that, well, it just doesn't seem like they're ever going to go back with Nintendo. Yeah, well, that's a bummer. And, I mean, it's not like we don't have other things we can do. Like, there is Skatebird coming out, which is kind of a similar game. There is Skate XL coming out, which or Skater XL coming out, which is a bit mm. more of a skate-style one, but still. So there are, like, options for Nintendo fans, but if you want, like, the OG, you can't really get it. And it's just it's just weird. Get a PS4 like... or an Xbox 360. Yeah, no, but, I mean, like, it's just weird be super you know, cheap. we were talking... You're saying how crazy it is that, you know, not to release it on the system. Like, I'm saying it's for 17 consecutive months as a top-selling console. It's been out for no, yeah. years. I mean, nine third-party games in the last year have sold a million copies. Like, what are they – what excuse? I know. It's, especially considering, I mean, Mortal Kombat 11 is on the Switch. I mean, that game yeah. like, definitely looked like a game that I would say, like, whoa, like, yeah, this, they're not going to put this on the Switch. Or they would have to, like, compromise the visuals. And they, or the and, Witcher And they compromised the visuals. I mean – it definitely doesn't look as great, but, I mean, when you're playing, you don't really notice it that much anyway. Yeah, and, like, you know, they're... they're, they're, they're I mean, unless, the, the, I mean, the only reason, I guess, would be the on. director <laughs> was, like, I really don't want to compromise, kind of, like, Kevin said, the fidelity of this Light game. Vision. Yeah. Which is and, possible. And if that's the case, then that's the case. I mean, sometimes that's the easiest explanation. I feel like this game yeah, is also a testing ground to see if we're going to get more Tony, Tony Hawk in the future because I'm, Kevin I'm sorry are you saying that this new Tony Hawk is a proving ground sure uh, because <laughs> because Tony Hawk's Pro Skater HD wasn't very well received it was like very it was got very mediocre reviews and then Tony Hawk's right. Pro Skater 5 came out and that was a trash fire that uh, a lot yeah. of people like to or would like to try and forget but unfortunately they can't because uh, Lil Wayne was in that video game but uh, they made it all the way to 5 dang I forgot about that 
Well, no, it, it, it way beyond five. No, well, they just stopped numbering them at four. No, they stopped numbering them at four. And then they went to the... Wait, what was five? Oh, I see what you're saying. They circled back to five and pretended all the other ones weren't part of the... Yeah. Well, Pro Skater 5 was, was a more traditional... Because, like, after Pro Skater 4 was Underground, and Underground was where right. the series went to... Went... Underground was on Nintendo Play. Yeah, Underground 2 was also on there. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if American Wasteland was... Oh, it was. Uh, never mind. But... Yeah, they kept them going longer than I thought. It was only the last three when the Fidelity jump happened. Yeah. And so... You have two games not- that, that range from mediocre to just abysmal. And so this new game, like, maybe they're like, maybe let's not do it for the Switch yet. Let's see if this sells on regular, on, on the other consoles. Not regular. That's true, too. Petro Possibly. I guess it's just, not, I guess, I guess I'm, if that's the case, I feel like it's so far in with the Switch's success that, like, Hey, maybe it'll sell better on Switch, you guys. I mean, Crash is one of the games that sold over a million on Switch as a year. Sure, later. but how much so did you could it sell argue? On well, consoles? people will double dip, but oh, I don't know. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. This, I, I think, Pro Skater yeah. One Plus Two, was such a weird naming convention. It is. I think it's 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 a testing ground for for uh, just just see if yeah. people do want Tony Hawk, and if enough people buy for this, I I will bet that we'll get it on Switch. Yeah, yeah. No, you're probably right. I, it does lead to an interesting question though, because like obviously I seem a little perturbed about a series that had its roots in Nintendo and then left. Are there any franchises like that that have always kind of been like, why is this not on a Nintendo platform anymore? I mean, Banjo comes to mind immediately, even though they didn't do much with it since, and he sort of came back. But do you guys have any games that you wish were like still on or available to play like on the go with your Switch or whatever? Uh, all I can think about it's like the mainline Final Fantasy games. Yeah, that's true. After, After they jumped six, to PlayStation, yeah. they never quite came back. Yeah, and, and we've had ports of the ones that were on PlayStation. Sure, we got Final Fantasy seven, eight, and I don't know if nine's been released yet on the Switch. But I think I think up to ten has actually up to ten has okay, and then yeah, and ten too. I think they're in a bundle. Right, ten too. But after that, well, eleven was an MMO. I right. don't know if twelve has been. That I feel like twelve would be would be okay on the Switch. But even that kind of sucks that they're like a generation later coming it, back to Nintendo versus. I definitely wouldn't mind. Yeah. I've always wanted yeah. to play the first few Metal Gear Solid games. I know I have access to them or can play them, but it'd be nice to get them on the Switch since I, we already know. I mean, Twin Snakes was a GameCube game, and Metal Gear Solid Three made it on the mm-hmm. 3DS. So it'd be nice to just get the first four, even though four was never on Nintendo console. But right. yeah. It's easy money for Konami. They just need to port it. They don't have to worry about all the drama of different voice actors and everything. I mean, there's already an actual... Yeah, there's already a collection that has, like, all four of them. And I think Peace Walker and Private Ops or Portable Ops, which, you know, has has Portable in its name, so... That collection is very (laughs) rare and very expensive now. Damn. Oh, by the way, Final Fantasy XII did come to Switch. Yeah, I thought the the, the Zodiac Gage, uh, like, remaster. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that makes sense. But aside yeah, from I feel, that, I, I think really Metal Gear is a good. Can't really think of anything. Yeah, I mean, it, we, we've been fortunate that things have come around. Like, if, if this question, if this situation was in the GameCube or Wii days, there'd be a lot more. And then the ones that do come to Wii are like, but why is it like all motiony now? Um, I mean, obviously that's the control system. But you know, like Madden came to Wii and was very popular on Wii, but it was not Madden in any normal sense. Yeah, SSX had a name. had a Wii. Yeah, actually, SSX. Blur, I think. Was yeah, the Blur one was on the SSX Blur. That one was cool. I like that one. It was motion controlled and kind of weird. I still think SSX Tricky is the best, but I enjoyed Blur. I was singing in the other room, actually. Huh. 
Yeah, because the the SSX reboot didn't didn't show up on on the Nintendo no. consoles. Which you know, like all things considered, maybe that's not so bad. I feel like the reboot lost a lot of that. No, like, the, the reboot was the reboot was cool. It wasn't it wasn't was it? Uh, one tricky or three, but I, yeah. I liked it. Okay, yeah, because I feel like like SSX like was at its best when it was a little more like arcadey and loose. And for some reason, I remember the reboot being a little more grounded. Need for Need for Speed hasn't been on a Nintendo console in a while. They had a uh, Most Wanted on the Wii U, the remake, and that was I have that. That's pretty good. But yeah, they they barely that, that wasn't that was a remake. That was a that was a new a new game. Oh yeah, new one, old mm-hmm. name. Yeah, but yeah, Call of Duty. There's one that might actually be cool. Oh, right. Yeah, Warzone. Oh, I forgot they haven't been on Switch. On Switch. Yeah. Warzone would be great. I forgot they haven't what? been on Switch or they didn't realize that. Call of Duty. Yeah, the last one was on the Wii U. Black Ops 2, Whoa. I believe. But the Wii ones, again, those were games that they had the motion control, but they all sold over a million, every Call of Duty on Wii. And then they tried one on Wii U and it didn't do so well, and they're like, eh, super <laughs> again. <laughs> so, well, yeah, it's, it's funny how one game can break a combo, essentially. True. But yeah, I think um, most of anything else, I might actually just about do it for this episode. Kind of a weird place to stop, but that's where the news stopped. So <laughs> um, I guess the only other thing is, you know, we just have to talk a little bit about that Amiibo giveaway. Because in celebration of our new Quarantine Chronicles uh, sub-series or secondary show or whatever you want to call it, we have a giveaway. It's kind of part of our soft relaunch, thanks to Kevin and your many, many Amiibo. 30 plus and all is what you're saying, right? Sure. That sounds confident, and it's like, yeah, you're. If I remember correctly from the top of the show, it was like we fit trainer, and that's how you know these shows are too long. If I remember correctly from when we started this episode, it was like refit trainer and the first run of villager and Marth and a bunch of others, right? Yeah. All smash, or there's some. No, other? they're all smash. All smash. Okay, so all smash, no breaks. If people, if, if people want to uh, win those. Either to keep because they want to complete their collection, or maybe to flip. Who knows? But if they want to, or to burn, um, just do or whatever to burn, you want with them. just put them in a giant toxic pile of plastic. Whatever you want to do with them, they can be yours. And we're gonna make it very easy to win. Um, just we're gonna tweet. We're gonna tweet a chance to win them. You retweet it. That's it. So if you don't already follow Random Nintendo on Twitter at Random Nintendo, can we, can we make it easier? That. Just like the tweet. <laughs> Just like it, nah. Because then we don't, nah. Because then we don't even get any traction yeah. that way. Damn, maybe we gotta work for it. <laughs> you know what? Just, just see, just see the tweet. Just if you see it, you're automatically entered, and we know your address. Just lay eyes on it. But yeah, it's um, yeah, we'll tweet it out sometime this week, and then if you retweet it uh, and follow us, you have a chance to win it. And also by following us, you get a heads up of when the next Quarantine Chronicles goes up, which will be the alternating Sundays of the current show. Andrew get the next uh, heads up of when or the heads up of when the next Rand Nintendo normal podcast goes up which will be June 7th and that one should be a pretty good one I think um, there's actually an event coming up in the days leading up to that called the Gorilla Collective it's a bunch of indie companies including Thunderfall who we were talking about with uh, Downhill and Raw Fury and Head Up and all these different companies they're going to be doing a two day game announcement event essentially so there could be some fun indie games coming out of that and we'll of course whatever there's anything that catches our eye will probably talk about plus all the other news that may happen and what we've been playing so you don't want to miss it follow us on twitter or subscribe to us on all the podcast apps google Podcasts, apple Podcasts, spotify pandora stitcher um we are random nintendo.com on youtube and yeah i think that just about does it i don't know if you guys had anything you want to add no mm. guess that's it. no yep cool well then in that case kevin final you word. didn't uh say our Twitter handles. You're right. 
Wait, is that so? That's not the final word. Okay, I can still say it. I'm JSR7. Angel is Wero, W E I R O underscore O, and Kevin, you are KVN Gomi. Mm, that's how you know Jason's coming along in his ears. Yes, sir. That's how you know you're coming along in your ears. <laughs> oh, because I forgot yeah. the handles. No, I'm 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 off my game because I'm not used to promoting a second show at the end of the first show. Like Quarantine Chronicles is still so new, but everyone should check it out. It's really fun, actually. It's us talking about everything that's not Nintendo that we're into, hosted by Mr. Final Word himself, Kevin. Listen to Quarantine Chronicles.